the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's get to it. It's a Monday. Hope that you had a great Resurrection Sunday. I know I did. We had a great time. Had five services over at New Life Church in Cabot. Uh, I would say we averaged about 750 people per service, uh, a little bit more on on Sunday, on, on Easter. The reason we have so many is we ask the people that go uh, consistently to New Life Church to go on Friday. We had one service Friday, two on Saturday to make more room for other people on Sunday because um, Easter Sunday for many people and Christmas are the only times that they uh, attend church. And so we want to make sure that they got plenty of seats uh, that when they show up, there's some place for them to sit down and and to uh, enjoy the service. So uh, turned out really well. We had a Easter egg blitz on Friday night at 6, on Saturday afternoon at 4, and had hundreds of uh, youngsters out there picking up plastic eggs. Uh, Eli, my grandson, one of them, two years, a little over two years old now, he was hilarious watching him do his thing. Uh, and, uh, but he couldn't figure out the thing is you pick up the egg and you just put it in the basket and keep it, right? And keep on loading it up. Well, he would pick up an egg, and he'd open it up. He wanted to see what was in it immediately. And uh, so, you know, uh, I was standing there, and and Nana was there, and uh, Mom was there, and everybody was stuffing little toys and stuff in their pockets and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was really uh, an event for Eli. It, it took him a while, but he finally got the, you know, how it all worked, and he got into it. Uh, he got an Easter basket first. He wouldn't even approach it. Couldn't figure out what that, that basket was. And, uh, we had a little stuffed lamb for him in it and had some chocolate crosses and things of that nature. And, uh, it was when he found the chocolate cross from Hershey's that got his attention because he took a bite of that cross and it was like, this is chocolate. I know what it is. And he proceeded to eat uh, like crazy, the chocolate. What's interesting is that the chocolate eggs he wasn't so thrilled about, and the peeps. This hurt. This hurt Granddad's heart, or as he calls me, Pops. Hurt my heart. He wasn't into peeps. Uh, boy, I love peeps. I mean, I've talked about this for years. I typically I open my packages of peeps up to let the air get to them, and let them sit for a week or a week and a half until they become peep jerky. And then I uh, I like to eat peep jerky. Peep jerky is really good. You know, the the more that they've aged, the better I like them. And so uh, I'll start eating the peeps that I had left over uh, to put in the basket. Um, I'll start eating them probably Sunday. And that's just good stuff, man, when you got to work at it to, to get a bite of it. So I just hope that your resurrection Sunday was good. Took out the family. Uh, I do on uh on Easter Sunday, I always take the whole family out to dinner. We have dinner together, and uh, Pops picks up the bill. 
And, you know, if you want to see a son that you haven't seen like in four or five months, promise him a free steak. <laughs> it's amazing how, how they show up for that. So, uh, yeah, we all had had a good meal together, enjoyed catching up together, uh, enjoyed fellowshipping together, having a great time. Eli's been a little bit under the, the weather and as a two-year-old, you know, they can't really explain to you where it's hurting or how they're feeling. And the best thing they can do is to to cry and to whine and, you know, do things like that. And he uh, he did his fair share of that. But um, we all o- tried to overlook it as much as we could and, um, you know, had him take an extra nap. And, you know, he'd wake up from his naps and he'd feel good. For a couple of hours and then it would just slowly evolve down and he would not feel as good and uh, we tried to make it as much fun as we could for him he's had a really bad cold and i don't know if it's just cold or if it's a combination of cold and sinuses that uh, he has a hack and cough at times and you know it's not fun it's it's difficult as a grandparent as a parent to sit and look at your your little one and they're just not you can see it in their eyes that they just don't feel good. They don't feel like playing. You know, they want to lay on your, you know, lay in your arms and things of that nature. And so it was a lot of that over the weekend, but not bad. Not bad at all. Didn't uh, didn't uh, destroy me in any way, shape, or form. Did get a good workout over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, working in my backyard and doing some things that needed to get done. We've got... Uh, and my son-in-law is over at my house today. I just was talking uh, to Linda, and she said that um, Kevin, my son-in-law, showed up, and he had been over yesterday, and we were walking around and talking about some things that we needed to do about replacing a few boards on the deck and uh, power washing the deck, and then uh, this weekend getting out there and and uh, putting on uh, the new stain and putting some polyurethane down on top of it. Uh, to get through the uh, the rest of the spring, through the through the uh, summer, fall, and winter, uh, getting everything ready, and then we'll start it all over again next spring. But we were supposed to get together on uh, Saturday and attack uh, about five things that we had identified. And I found out just talking to Linda that Kevin was already there replacing a couple of boards in the. Uh, my uh, my deck and uh, was going to power wash it today as well. Wants to get it done, he said. He told Linda, I want to get it done before the rain comes Wednesday so we don't have to wait for the, you know, for it all to, to dry out before we power wash it on Friday or Saturday. Supposed to be Saturday. That's what we agreed to. But I got a really, I've, I've got some really good son-in-laws who uh, I, I, I care about a lot and they're good they're good guys and they help out around the house and you know they they tell dad and they'll be talking to me and they go you know pop you're 66 years old now you're not supposed to be doing this stuff anymore and I said and you know yeah I can still do a lot and they go no you 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 get to tell us what needs to be done and then you can watch us do it so I guess I'm not going to complain about it uh, but I'm I still work out every other day, try to keep myself in some semblance of, you know, shape. I got uh, got all my uh, 
my uh, weights and everything in my garage. Got up this morning, 8.30, and hit the, hit the weights. Got done about 9.30, showered, shaved, did all of that. Ate a little breakfast, ate a little raisin bran, and got on with my day. So it's I've had a great, you know, weekend, and uh, my weekdays uh, of my week has begun off well here today on uh, this week after uh, after having resurrect, Resurrection Sunday. Hey, before we uh, move in deep into the show, let me remind you about Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. Jerry, one of his associates, had lunch with me today. Good things going on over there at Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. Their phone number, 501-819-0373. And like, here's what they'd like you to do. Give them a call, set up an appointment, come by, bring all of your insurance paperwork, and let them take and uh, look at your insurance and what you have on your house, on your cars, on your boat, on your um, motorcycle, everything that you have insured at your house, and let them take a look at it and then compare it to what they can offer you from uh, – the folks at Allstate, who they represent, and see how much money they can save you. And they have saved people a lot of money. Uh, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency is at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. But uh, set up an appointment first. Call there. Get a receptionist. She'll work with you to get the right uh, time to come over and sit down with one of the agents and uh, see if you can't save some money. 501-819-0373. That's uh, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. Interesting, isn't it, that the Democrats don't want, they don't know what to do now, that Mueller came out and uh, no collusion or whatever. You know, Bob Woodward uh, was on uh, television this weekend talking about that specifically. And I want you to listen to, to what uh, he had to, uh, had to say about this. Cut number five. Course, do you have that? Okay, we're getting it. Okay, let, let him know. He's working on Russ. Russ is getting everything together for me. See, he doesn't just get to do my show. He get, he gets to do all the radio stations. <laughs> so he's busy over there. But he's pulling it. He's pulling it. All right, cut number five. This is Bob Woodward. Bob, when you read volume two of the Mueller report, which is the part that centers on obstruction, and uh, Mueller lays out 10 specific potential cases of obstruction, how disturbing do you find them? Well, uh, they're disturbing. I think there's a pattern of lying and corruption here that can't be dodged. But um, Jason's right. The big conclusion on no, I mean, collusion is a bad word, no coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians, that is a big deal, and it's got to be faced. And uh, there is there, there are elements in the report that are very disturbing, uh, Basically, uh, and I'm sure President Trump would not acknowledge this, it confirms what was reported in the New York Times, my newspaper, and the Wall Street Journal in a, a very significant way. The question uh, bubbling here is, is this Watergate? Is this Nixon? And the big missing element... No. 
in all of this is money. Nixon used campaign money for the Watergate operation, espionage and sabotage. He used campaign money to pay for the silence of the people involved in Watergate. Clear obstruction. In this case, you have no money paid by Trump or his associates. You know who paid for the Russian meddling in our election? Vladimir Putin. Yeah, there you go. There's no money exchanged hands. What was the big thing? If, do you remember all the president's men? Do you remember reading the book? Do you remember seeing the movie? What was the big thing that they kept saying? Follow the money. Follow the money. There's no money to follow here because no money was paid. Number two, volume two is where everybody now has uh, turned their attention when volume one was what everybody kept saying that Trump was guilty of. Collusion. Coordination. Those two words were used synonymously. And now they've got to uh, the end of it with Mueller. And Mueller says, hey, sorry, no collusion, no coordination. Was there, uh, you know, obstruction? Here's my point on this. I'll, I'll just stay with this. How can you obstruct things? What can you obstruct if there is no crime? Was, was Trump saying to people, you know, hey, look, they're going to take you and they're going to question you and whatever. Don't offer them anything. I, I don't see that as obstruction. I see that as, I would say that to my buddies. You answer the questions, you can uh, answer the questions uh, honestly. But just answer the question. Don't start running your mouth about all kinds of stuff to give them all kinds of rabbit trails to go chasing after. You know, what you think is no big deal, they'll try to make it, you know, they're going to try to make mountains out of molehills. Giuliani talked about that all the time. He made a statement over the weekend that he would have been disbarred if he allowed Trump to go sit down and be, uh, you know, uh, deposed by uh, the FBI. And it was and because it, it would have been exactly what they said it would have been. It would have been a perjury trap. They would have tried to ask him questions that other people had given other answers to. And then when he uh, couldn't remember something or he he said something that he thought that had been said and the other person had said something entirely different, they would have gone after him uh, for perjury. And, and let's just be honest. If somebody called you in two years later from uh, something that you had been involved in or maybe it was something that you weren't involved with, but some other people were involved with it, and those people were asked a bunch of questions and you had had some meetings with them, a day-to-day kind of meeting, and you sat down and, uh, and you guys had discussed this and that and the other, and then somebody asks you, well, what did you talk about this day with this person at this time? How many of you in your own heads could reconstruct any of those meetings, any of those big meetings? I know I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, when I fill out uh, applications uh, for employment, you know, where they want to go back five, six, eight, ten years on jobs that you've had, 
and you got to say, well, I work for these people, and I work from this date to this date. I can't remember the exact dates. Don't have a, have a clue. How much did you make? Okay, when I get asked that question, I typically respond by asking a reciprocal question. Are we talking base salary, or are we talking base salary and talent? Talent would be commercials that I do. Uh, you know, when I go out and do uh, remotes and things of that nature. Is that what you're asking me to do? Now the way that I, I kind of go in and fill out that stuff to be make sure that I'm I'm close at least uh, is I, I've got all of my tax returns for like 18 years. And I sit down and open up the tax return. I look at what I made. And, and and then even then I'll question and go, okay, now are they wanting me to have net or, you know, you know, what all I made before taxes and all of that. I mean, I just, it's just crazy. It really is. And uh, I had in a, a job interview one time, I was questioned one time about uh, the dates of my uh, employment and I had to fill out an application because they lost one. Uh, twice, and I, fi- I filled it out a second time, and I went back and trying to reconstruct everything, and they found the, the first one, and they had the second one, and the dates didn't exactly match up. So I get a call from a lawyer asking why my dates didn't match up, and I'm like, dude, you're asking me, you know, what were the exact dates I worked 10 years ago? I don't know. I kind of have a feeling I can kind of give you, you know, when I start it and when I end it. It's just, it's, look, I can't even tell you the date that I, I, I lost my gig at the other radio station here in town. I thought I'd been working for Salem for five years. I hadn't. They didn't count 96.5 when I was with, you know, working for Larry Crane. They count the four years that I have been specifically uh, with Salem. It's. It's wild. So I can only imagine. Can you can you imagine this, Russ? If you were president of the United States and you're supposed to be able to reconstruct all of your meetings that you have, it's not possible. But they'll try to get you for, uh, you know, lying if you don't. So I can understand why Giuliani said, you know, I lost my license if I put the president in front of somebody for that. It have been crazy for us to do that. We'll talk about Rudy Giuliani and some things that he had to say over the weekend here in a few moments. I want to talk about Elizabeth Warren today. She, she wants to cancel all student loan debt. However, however, as long as the graduates don't earn more than $100,000. Now, that to me is kind of dumb, if you ask me. I'd want people to make as much money as they could so that I could make sure that they pay in all their taxes. And the more money they make, the more uh, taxes they're going to pay. But that's not how she's seeing it. I'll let her say it for you uh, when we get back here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, Giuliani went off on Mitt Romney. I don't know if you uh, saw what Mitt Romney said about the president and about the Mueller report. We'll talk about that and Adam Schiff. We'll talk about him as well today. He still claims there's evidence of collusion, although he cannot. 
he cannot produce it. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we'll be getting Robert Steinbach in here around 4 o'clock. He'll be joining us. He told me a weird kind of thing that happened over the weekend, something about a, a Amazon truck hit his house or something. We'll make him tell that story and hear what he has to say. And Conduit News is going to join us in the last uh, hour of the show as well. We'll talk to them. We'll have a lot of different things to talk about with them. All that's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show on uh, you know 101.1 FM, The Answer. Right now, the news. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Good to be here. Hope your weekend was good. Mine was good. We talked about that already. Let's get back into the news. Rudy Giuliani uh, was on Fox News over the weekend. Him and Chris Wallace got into a little bit of a give and take. Uh, Chris Wallace, interestingly, spent most of his time talking about this whole volume two thing uh, about the Mueller report. And, you know, be let's be honest here. Here's what I saw out of this whole charade that was going on. From the word get-go, we were told that the FBI and uh, the special counsel's investigation was all about, did the president collude with the Russians to manipulate the 2016 uh, election that uh, you know he had uh, running against Hillary Clinton? That was everything that I that I have always thought that this was about. Then, as we move towards the end of the investigation, then it was brought up. Well, did the president obstruct the investigation? And, and the answer was, I don't believe that he did at all. Uh. Did he say things, you know, they, they took things that he said on TV as a methodology of that's how he was trying to obstruct things. I look at uh, Trump, and he says a lot, a very straight to the point, here's what I think uh, type of uh, statements. I don't think there was any uh, obstruction. I think Trump was just being Trump. The way that he talks. As far as the collusion, he said from the word go. From the very beginning, he said, I did not collude with the Russians. And now that has been proven to be true. It's just like Woodward said. No coordination, no collusion in the Mueller report. Quote, that's a big deal. And it's got to be faced. Well, yeah, I would think that that's the first thing that has to be faced here. The very, very first thing that must be faced here is that the president did not do anything treasonous. I mean, wasn't that what everybody was saying from the very word go? He colluded. He was working with the Russians, blah, 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 blah. And as you, well, here, let me play it again. Bob Woodward was on 
uh, over the weekend and on one of the talking head shows and he talked about this he says is there questionable some things in there yeah there's there's things that say that the president may have have lied was it anything that could be considered obstruction evidently not or Mueller would have gone for it it wasn't obstruction so with that all said, listen towards the end, because here's the other thing. I'm saying. I saw a meme today that was sent to me uh, talking about, quote, the new Nixon. And it was a picture of Richard Nixon that they've taken his face off and they put Trump's face on it. This is nowhere near what Watergate was. Look, I lived through Watergate. I was uh in my uh, my 20s when watergate happened i can tell you what went down in watergate i can tell you the hush money that was being spent i can tell you the people that lied and on and on and on okay we can talk about this ain't nothing like watergate not even this is not even a pale comparison this is a way for the democrats to try to paint trump as being like Richard Nixon. Not even close. Just telling you. Not even close. So with that all said, let's hear what Woodward had to say. Bob, when you read volume two of the Mueller report, which is the part that centers on obstruction, and uh, Mueller lays out 10 specific potential cases of obstruction, how disturbing do you find them? Well, they're disturbing. I think there's a pattern of lying and corruption here that can't be dodged. But um, Jason's right. The big conclusion on no, I mean, collusion is a bad word, no coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians, that is a big deal, and it's got to be faced. And uh, there is there, there are elements in the report that are very disturbing, uh, Basically, uh, and I'm sure President Trump would not acknowledge this, it confirms what was reported in the New York Times, my newspaper, and the Wall Street Journal in a a very significant way. The question uh, bubbling here is, is this Watergate? Is this Nixon? And the big missing element in all of this is money. Nixon used campaign money for the Watergate operation, espionage and sabotage. He used campaign money to pay for the silence of the people involved in Watergate. Clear obstruction. In this case, you have no money paid by Trump or his associates. You know who paid for the Russian meddling in our election? Vladimir Putin. There you go. Okay, no money. No money paid. There is no obstruction. Do you honestly believe if Mueller thought that he had a drop-dead case of obstruction, he would not have brought that to bear upon the president? Of course he would have. They wanted to get him. They were out to get him. Mueller was doing everything he could do to try to find something. Did they find anything that the president was messed up in other than paying uh, some money to a woman to keep her mouth shut about uh, some things that might have gone uh, down between he and her? No. No, not at all. Cohen paid that money. 
We know he paid that money. So what? That that's not illegal to do. And it wasn't it was not money that was given to the campaign. It was money from Trump. Period. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and if you want to run against uh, Donald Trump in 2020, and uh, your whole campaign is is that he's a moral he's a moral reprobate, feel free. You can, but what he did was not illegal. Morally, really seriously, morally bad. I don't disagree with that. But I will tell you this. Other politicians have done far worse. I mean, look, what's happened? uh, You know, we haven't heard anything from Barney Frank in a long time, except over the weekend he made a statement of saying being a homosexual is a lot better than being a politician. All right, so let's cut over now and talk about Giuliani. Giuliani was talking about this whole deal, and I I agree with him on this part. There's people that went out to get President Trump, went out to short-circuit his presidency, went out to to bring uh, forth all kinds of questions about did he do illegal things. And I believe they knew there was nothing there, but they pushed it in the media. They had a narrative that they live by, and uh, they have made it difficult on President Trump to, to get uh, things going the, the direction he wanted to for this country. I mean, what has the man done? We've got some of the best job production ever. We've got uh, the economy growing by 3 3.5%. When not more than a few years ago, 2015, 2016, uh, economists saying that America would never grow at 3% again, much less close to 4%. And that's because their guy that they supported, Barack Obama, couldn't get it to to grow by more than a, a couple of percent. Never going to happen again. Well, it happened under uh, under Trump. Uh, we've had here in our state in the last uh, quarter, one of the best quarters in uh, almost the history of this state. The top five growth in the country in the last, uh, our, our, our last uh, quarter. And that's all because of the different things that Donald Trump is doing to spur on business. Rudy Giuliani says that he believes that, uh, you know, uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, should start doing a uh, investigation into the people that were behind all of these uh, questions, all of these statements, all of these reports that were released about the president that were not true. So justice requires it. 
Rudy they Giuliani tried to almost. frame. They tried to frame the president of the United States, including you think Bob Mueller. Tried to frame him. No, I think the people making the allegations and who started it. I think Mueller was derelict in not investigating that. A prosecutor is supposed to entertain the hypothesis, hypothesis that the person is innocent. This man was incapable of entertaining that. Otherwise, he would have looked at the other side. How how did this happen? Two investigations, no collusion, not a coincidence. How did it happen? Well, Happy Easter. Happy Easter, man. <laughs> yeah, makes a sense makes sense doesn't it everything that you were pushing for there's not a whiff of it anywhere that means somebody somebody was making stuff up and yeah i think that needs to be investigated when we come back rudy goes further and said why he volunteered why he volunteered to represent donald trump all right so let's finish up this segment talking about the the Mueller report and uh talking about what Rudy Giuliani had to say and what Bob Woodward had to say. Bob Woodward says, hey, look, there is no collusion. Vladimir Putin paid for all of that, and uh, you're going to have to deal with it. Democrats got to deal with it. They're not trying to deal with it. I mean, I've heard Warren say now we got to impeach Trump. Uh, That was her big, uh, you know, statement last week. We haven't even got to her thing about... uh, college we'll talk about that in a few moments uh we've had maxine waters of course talking about impeachment as well uh r-o-c-k you you know in the usa anyway she uh, aoc has said that she thinks that should happen but there's a whole lot of people out there booker and a lot of other people who have no appetite now to try to go after impeachment the worst thing that the Democratic Party can do now is to try to push for impeachment. They will definitely set up a situation that will make sure that they do not win the White House. All right, Rudy Giuliani talked to about why did he get in and represent Donald Trump? And he talks about how soon he got into the campaign, and then he talked about why he volunteered to work as uh, a lawyer for him. The investigation established that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and work to secure that outcome, and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through the Russian efforts. It's this last part. Uh, yeah, the campaign ex- wanted, knew I, that the I Russians were helping and were, were uh, waiting to, to, to... I was on the campaign mm-hmm. for four months, uh, probably as close to Donald Trump as anybody could be. Uh, I saw no evidence of that. So that one I'd have to examine much more critically. I saw no evidence of anybody talking about Russia, involved with Russia. And one of the reasons why I volunteered to defend him was I knew, I knew right. personally it was a false allegation. Then why about, did the president um, trumpet WikiLeaks so many times? Because they were putting out things that were true. There you go. They were putting things out that were true. Why wouldn't you draw attention to that? Are, we suppo- are you supposed to ignore it? They're not going to ignore it. They were saying here, this is what was happening. I mean, I I think it's hilarious. There was nothing, absolutely nothing there that's illegal. Nothing. President wasn't paying anything. President wasn't in contact with anybody. Nobody in his campaign was involved with uh, those people. That was information that was being, uh, you know, dropped out into the public. I'll be honest with you. You know, Assange has been, you know, arrested now by the British. 
I would not be surprised if Bill Barr or somebody like that didn't help make sure that he got arrested because now they can go talk to Assange and they can get him to give them the complete story on all of that. Maybe even where did those uh, emails come from? Where did they go, et cetera, et cetera, on and on ad nauseum. I mean, this is not going to go away. It's going to... It, it, it's like throwing a big old rock out in a lake. All kinds of ripples. And the ripples are, I believe, for the most part, bad for the Democrats. I mean, they, they, man, they hung so many things on this collusion thing that uh, they can't just get over it. I mean, Adam Schiff. Guy who's the head of the, you know, one of the committees. You know, he can't give up on this. I've got, listen to what he has to say. Here, here's cut number seven. We haven't read or ignoring the plain language of the report where Bob Mueller says uh, two things. He says, we're not going to look into the question of whether it's collusion. That's a common uh, lay term uh, that can be criminal or non-criminal conduct. We're going to look at the crime of conspiracy. And on that issue, Bob Mueller says something else that I've been saying frequently, which is the fact that you may not be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt a criminal conspiracy doesn't mean that there's an absence of evidence of crime. Uh, and when I talked, uh, Chris, and you're absolutely right, I talked about this all the time on the, uh, on the course of the last year. When I talked about evidence of collusion in plain sight, I used those words in plain sight. And I pointed to the meetings in Trump Tower that uh, Don Jr. and Kushner and Manafort took. Uh, and what more clear intent to collude could you have than the Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton as part of what was described as an effort to help Mr. Trump in the campaign? And Don Jr. saying, if it's what you say, I would love it. Now, I don't know how you find more abundant evidence of an intent to collude than that. But, but sir. And in fact, Yes. Uh, well, uh, let me just say the the Mueller report looked at a lot of those specific incidences you talk about. For instance, the Trump Tower meeting, the fact that Paul Manafort shared polling data with someone uh, from the Ukraine who had ties to the Russians. And here's what they found. Again, from the report, volume one, page 66, the investigation examined whether these contacts and they agree there were contacts involved or resulted in coordination of a conspiracy with the Trump campaign in Russia, including with respect to Russia providing assistance to the campaign in exchange for any sort of favorable treatment in the future. Based on the available information, the investigation did not establish such coordination. There you go. And Adam Schiff, here, here's his thing. Well, there, there were some Russians uh, that came and they met with some Trump officials. Okay. All right, so what does that mean? Well, we think that shows collusion. No, it doesn't. You got to prove collusion. They couldn't prove, they can't prove squat. They can allude, they can suggest, they can do everything they want to. Bottom line, there was no collusion. Mueller said it, that should put it to bed, but it's not going to. And uh, Shift has made that abundantly clear. He's not going to let it go. I met with a Libyan once in the middle of the night in uh, Italy. Yeah, you did? 
We were both waiting to get to the airport so we could fly out to our respective home go. countries. Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they allude to all of this stuff, and there is nothing, nothing there. All right, so Romney opened his big trap last week. What's Giuliani think about that? You're going to want to hear it. We'll play it for you. When we come back, it's the Dave Ellswick Show. It's a Monday. Mondays are always typically a bad day. This Monday's going pretty good for me. We got more coming your way in a few minutes. All right, second hour of a uh, Monday show, Dave Ellswick Show, right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Good to have you along. So why are people like Schiff and Elijah Cummings and others, Democrats, you know, pushing this uh, whole mantra about uh, impeachment? Senator Elizabeth Warren did this uh, late last week. You got AOC doing it as well. And and it's really simple, and that is uh, the Democrats want to find something that they can use against the president as we move into the 2020 election cycle. We've already moved into it. They've had their first reporting uh, cycle of money, and the president uh, just knocked it out of the park uh, as far as that's concerned. So Elizabeth Warren said that, you know, I'm not going to spend all of my time talking about impeachment. I'll have policy, too. So she came up with a policy, and uh, we've got we can talk about it today. But before we talk about her, I want to finish up with uh, Rudy Giuliani and what he had to say uh, over the weekend about uh, Mitt Romney. Romney, uh, now senator from Utah, uh, had to say something negative about the president. I mean, first thing he says, "Yeah, I'm really glad didn't show any collusion," and then. He went in and he he said some disparaging things about the president. He couldn't help himself. He just had to. I mean, remember during the campaign, the things that he said about Trump and against Trump. Well, he, he's not changed his, his ways. He is the exact same thing that he was when he ran for president and lost. Now that he ran for Senate and he won, uh, he's going to continue his mantra Uh, He might find himself elected one time only to the Senate if he keeps this this uh, stupid stuff up. And uh, in cut six here, Rudy Giuliani went after uh, Mitt Romney. And here's what he had to say. To your question, because uh, Mitt Romney put out a statement saying that he was, quote, appalled that, among other things, fellow citizens working in a campaign for president welcomed help from Russia, including information that had been illegally obtained that none of them acted to inform American law enforcement. Again, it's again, it's good news man, that there is insufficient man, evidence. But man, what, what about the willingness? I could tell you the things he wanted to do. The Rudy Giuliani. That, no, that, that, that guy Ryan, wanted to do. Come on. What do you mean the things that? Stop the bull. Wanted? Stop the bull. Stop this pious act that you weren't digging, trying to dig up dirt on people, putting dirt out on people. Who Mitt Romney? When he was running for president, he ran, I ran against him. Right. So did John McCain run against him. But he wasn't accepting information from foreign. I don't know if he was accepting information from foreign. Who, who says that the president accepted information from foreigners? You mean people on his campaign might have done it? First the, of all. The Trump Tower meeting, I think, is what he was referring to, the willingness to sit down with Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. That is what, what Mitt seems to be talking about. What a hypocrite. But why is that? Any candidate, any candidate in the whole world in America would take information negative from a foreign theory. source? From a hostile foreign source? Who says it's even illegal? Who says it's even illegal? 
And does the information turn out to be false, by the way? The information that was gleaned and disseminated, every newspaper printed it. Why did the Washington Post print the information that came from a foreign source when they knew it was hacked? Aren't they just as wrong for doing that as the campaign wanting to use it? Why, why do you, information think, Mitt, why do you think Mitt Romney is a hypocrite if he is Because saying, Mitt Romney did things very similar to that. Taking information no, from Russians? No, no. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking information from Russians. There's nothing it wrong with taking information? It depends on where it came from. It depends on where it came from. You're assuming that the giving of information is a campaign contribution. You read the report carefully. Mm -hmm. The report says we can't conclude that because the law is pretty much against that. Do you th people get information from this person, that person? So you person? you would have accepted information from Russians against a client, against a, against a candidate, if you were running in the presidential election. I probably I probably wouldn't. I wasn't asked. I would have advised just out of excess of caution, don't do it. I'll give you another thing. But you're though. saying, but you're saying there was nothing wrong with doing that. You, I mean, that's there's, no, just, there's no crime. I'm not talking about crime. I'm talking about. We're going to get into morality. Crime. Yeah. Well, that isn't what prosecutors look at, morality. No, but that's what, Mitt Romney, but that's what Mitt Romney is but referring to. But this didn't to. become an international scandal because of immorality. It became an international scandal because the president was accused of violating the law falsely, and now nobody wants to try to figure out who did it, because that's the real wrongdoing here. And the reality is... But you don't right? think this is immoral or unethical to take... Well, suppose help? I do. Yeah. I'm going to prosecute people for immoral... I'm not talking about the I'm going to go look at every... I'd like to take a good look at Romney's campaign and see if there were any immoral or, or unethical things done by the people working for him that he didn't know about. If, if there weren't, then it was the only campaign in history because he's maybe as holier than the holiest one. <laughs> I got to give Rudy uh, a high five on that. Because he's right. There's no law against it. And then I liked how he turned it around. And how, uh, that sounded like the guy from NBC, uh, trying to get out from under, you know, all the newspapers printed it, printed all of this. Did What they did, was it illegal? And the answer is no, it's news. And they say, well, would you accept that, uh, you know, in, in your campaign? Would you accept that for your newspaper? That That's what it, it's. It's very interesting. Bottom line. And the president never met with them. That's the key. He never met with them. That whole thing was, uh, you know, Junior and uh, some other people that met with uh, some, some Russians. I'm, I'm going to be honest. If somebody had come to me and I'm running a campaign and they say, hey, I got some information and uh, you, you, you might be able to, you know, basically destroy uh the person that i'm running against campaign i would vet it i would vet it very very carefully to make sure that it's true but if it's true why wouldn't i use it i mean nobody's talking about the steel dossier all of that was pulled together by ruskies and then it was a, a guy that acted as conduit to it they were going to use that against Trump. So please spare me all of this stuff. Spare me on all of this. Just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, let, let's move on to something else here. Senator Warren says that she wants to use taxpayer money, your money, is what she wants to use, 
to cancel hundreds of billions of dollars in student loan debt and offer debt-free college for millions more, which, according to them, would cost $1.25 trillion over the next decade. In a blog post on Medium, the Massachusetts Democrats said the huge student loan debt burden is, quote, crushing millions of families and acting as an anchor on our economy. It's reducing home ownership rates. It's leading fewer people to start businesses. It's forcing students to drop out of school before getting a degree. It's a problem for all of us, unquote. Well, when banks were loaning this money, nobody was uh, saying that uh, the government should pay our student loans, my student loan. I paid my student loans off. Took me several years to do it, but I finally did it. Got it done. But that's that. now that the government doing its stupid thing that it always does, getting involved and loaning the money, now turns around and now that these people are, are uh, under all this debt and have been you know, basically talked into taking huge portions of debt to go to, to school. I mean, we we played the Rose part on uh, Thursday of last week, and I, I could report, I could probably find it and have it replayed again, but the, here's the key. He said, who's responsible for all of that? Is it the kids? Well, the kids ended up going and t- taking the loans, but who told them? Their counselors told them there's all kinds of of uh, federal loans that they can get. Their parents told them, yeah, you can borrow the money. The colleges told them, yeah, borrow the money. And all three of those have told them if they don't uh, have a, a you know a college degree, uh, they're going to be failures in life. So now what we have is we have all these people who lied to these kids and these kids who took these loans thinking evidently, you know, they could go out and and borrow the money to go get a college degree like you can go out and buy a, uh, you know, borrow the money to, to buy a car, but you don't have to pay it back. And that you and I, uh, as taxpayers, that money should be coming out of our pockets. Here's what, uh, well, I'll let you hear what she has to, she has to say here. This is Elizabeth Warren over the weekend, or maybe it was even this morning, and uh, talking about this whole thing of what she'll do with uh, student loan debt. Well, Allison Elizabeth Warren made a huge splash last week uh, when she called on the House to begin impeachment proceedings against President Trump. But aides at the time, you remember, said, do not expect impeachment to be the central theme of her campaign going forward, that she uh, plans to remain focused on policy. And we are seeing the first real sign of that this morning. Elizabeth Warren putting out a major uh, student loans and free college proposal. Senator Elizabeth Warren out with a sweeping new proposal to wipe clean millions of American student loan debt and overhaul the country's higher education system. The Massachusetts Democrat dropping the ambitious plan ahead of CNN's five-candidate young voter town hall in New Hampshire. Anyone who's got outstanding student loan debt 
can have up to $50,000 worth of student loan debt canceled out so long as their income is under $100,000, then it kind of steps in up to there's no help for anybody whose family income is above $250,000. And that's it. The debt's gone. The proposal would also make all public colleges tuition and fee-free, inject $100 billion into Pell Grants over 10 years, and create a $50 billion fund for historically black colleges and other minority-serving institutions. There you go. Hey, let me, let's go over this. The first step in addressing the crisis is to deal head-on with the outstanding debt that is weighing down millions of families and should never have been required in the first place. Okay, so if you read that sentence right there, Warren saying that college should be absolutely free. Okay, a lot of people are missing that. That's why she's calling for something truly transformational. The cancellation of up to 50000 in student loan debt for 42 million Americans. The debt, I like how she says, if uh, your, your family's making less than $100,000, uh, debt's gone. No, it's not. The debt's still there. It's going to be paid by somebody else, though. The debt for that person is gone. But the debt is still there. The government must be repaid that money. How are they going to repay the money? They're going to take it out of, they're going to raise taxes is what they're going to do. They're going to have to raise taxes to be able to pay for these exorbitant programs that they're talking about, about Medicare for all and all the rest. And now this whole thing about paying off student debt. Nothing is free. I don't know how many times we're going to have to keep saying this. Nothing absolutely nothing is free everybody whatever they they spend it gets paid back somehow so uh, her plan for broad student debt cancellation will one cancel debt for more than 95 percent of the nearly 45 million americans with student loan debt wipe out student loan debt entirely for more than 75% of the Americans with that debt. Why? Why should they be left off the hook? Why should that happen? You know, when I uh, owed a a huge uh, financial burden in uh, my my life dealing with uh, medical care, I went in, talked to a lawyer, and things were worked out so that uh, that money could be paid back over a period of five years. It wasn't free. You're talking about kids that took out loans to go to college. That's a commodity that they went out and bought. Just like they would go out to buy a, a home or go out to buy a car or whatever. Color, you know, flat screen TVs, uh, c- uh, computers, PlayStations, all the rest. You don't get to go out and buy it on time and then everybody else pays it off for you. That's not the way that works out. But that's the way Warren wants to work it out. She is literally, to the millennials, is trying to buy your vote and for most of you this will work you believe you're going to get it for free 
what will happen is that you will pay some portion of it, but you'll pay it in additional taxes. Substantially increase wealth for black and Latino families and reduce the black, white, and Latino white wealth gaps and provide an enormous middle-class stimulus that will boost economic growth, increase home purchases, and fuel a new wave of small business formation. Now, let me just ask this question. If somebody defaults, literally, they're still defaulting, whether the government now is saying they're going to pay for this, the person that's being granted that you don't have to pay back your financial uh, uh, debt that you took out for um, school, how are you going to buy a home? You're going to bar- borrow money, aren't you? You're going to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars? And then promise that you're going to pay it back? Why should we believe that you're going to pay it back? How many of these people are going to believe I can buy a home and then down the line when I can't pay for it, I can get somebody to pay it off for me? I'll get, to, I'll get my neighbors to pay it off for me. Or they say fuel a new wave of small business for, formation. A lot of businesses are formated, uh, formulated out of how? Getting small business loans. How, how are you going to be sure they're going to pay that back? You're setting up a, a, a way for people to learn. They don't have to pay anything back, period. Quote, experts, and this is Warren saying again, West, uh, experts uh, estimate my debt cancellation plan creates a one-time cost to the government of $640 billion. The Universal Free College Program brings the total cost of the program to roughly $1.25 trillion over 10 years. Now, if you're about this, then you know nothing about economics. Very obvious. You never sat down and read one economics book. You can't be just giving people stuff and expect the people of this country to pay it off. And you're setting up a belief system that if I buy a home, I'm going to have to pay that back either. Or if I start a new business or if I buy a car or whatever it is that they buy, this is, this is bad, bad uh, mojo. It really is terrible mojo. You just heard what Elizabeth Warren had to say. You make up your mind if that's the person you really think should be leading this country. All right, Dave Ellswick Show, get a break in. Uh, we've got news coming up at the bottom of the hour uh, we got more to talk about as we continue. All right, back. We've got about a minute here. Uh, when we come back, I want to give you a story from Fox News. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, because today is Earth Day, right? Today's Earth Day, isn't it, Russ? It's Earth Day today, I think. Pretty I sure. Know. I'm pretty sure it's Earth Day. Do today. I look like a tree hugger to you? Well, no. You don't look like a Green New Dealer either, but I'm just saying I think today is Earth Day. Uh, Bill de Blasio says that uh, New York City is going to jump all over this New Deal stuff, this Green New Deal, and they're going to ban inefficient steel and glass skyscrapers. I'll give you this whole story when we come back. This guy is nuts. Here's a guy who wants to make other people pay out the nose on things like this, but yet 
uh, is dro- dro- driven around in a gas-guzzling uh, SUV every morning, 11 miles, uh, over to uh, a gym where he works out in Brooklyn because that's where he's from. I'm just wondering what the yellow is going to be when they start passing legislation. It's going to be... It's going to be interesting. Wait I mean, you... they've got the green for the Green New Deal. They've got the red for the murder of babies. What's the yellow going to be? I don't know. We'll talk about it. All right, we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's go back to that story I was telling you about, about de Blasio. And it's in New York, and I understand it's in New York, but understand something that I always have said here on the show. What starts on the coast slowly makes its way to middle America. And that means Little Rock as well. How many different things have we seen over the years that got started out in California or Portland or, you know, Oregon and or out in Washington State or maybe some other state out west has slowly made its way here? I think a perfect example of all of this is looking at medicinal marijuana and how it's you know, everybody thought it was crazy when they started talking about it in Colorado. Now, you know, you got you got a lot of states that are already in the medicinal and working towards recreational. Now, some of you say that's not a bad thing. Others say it is a bad thing. Uh, you know, I don't think it would destroy the union, but I will tell you this. It is, as I have said, it has moved this way. I'll tell you something else that's going to move this way, and it's a little thing, but it's stupid. You're going to see plastic straws disappear here in Arkansas, just like you're seeing it disappear in other states right now. Oh, you you got that for me, right? Okay, well. Yeah, I got the audio. No, very good. Did everybody else hear that you tell me that? No, uh, the not until okay, just talk, You're just talking in my headset here. All right, just so you'll know, we got de Blasio talking about his motorcade. We'll get to that in just a moment. The uh, New York mayor said that the Big Apple is to become the Green Apple. It will have to ban, it will have to ban the steel and glass towers that form its signature skyline, according to the mayor. De Blasio, speaking on MSNBC's Morning Joe, said that city's most iconic uh, structures, the tall skyscrapers seen from miles away, are the biggest source of emissions in New York City. The drastic change and a switch to only renewable energy within five years. All solar or some something else, that's in five years they're going to do this. I should start laughing now. I could do the next half hour just laughing. It ain't going to happen. Man, you're you're the reason that New York and some of the U.S. is not living like some of the third world countries are. <laughs> You've claimed that before. You know that. Yes. Anyway, within five years. Mud huts. That's right. Maybe that's what, uh, you know, Times Square is going to look that way before it's over with. I have a bunch of mud huts out there. All right. Anyway. They got to do all of this stuff. All of these things are necessary for uh, New York to embrace the Green New Deal, de Blasio said, said by a socialist about a socialist plan. All right. We are putting clear, strong mandates to lower emissions, he said, warning that property owners will face massive fines 
unless buildings were uh, retrofitted. The first of any major city on the earth to say to building owners, quote, you've got to clean up your act, you've got to retrofit, you've got to save energy, he said. If you don't do it by 2030, there's going to be serious fines as high as $1 million or more for the biggest buildings. He continued, we're going to ban the classic glass and steel skyscrapers, which are incredibly inefficient. If someone wants to build one of those things, they can take a whole lot of steps to make it energy efficient, but we're not going to allow what we used to see in the past. De Blasio said private building owners will be required to slash their emissions by 30% by 2030. In the same conversation that he was uh, touting renewable energy and reducing emissions, de Blasio also defended his use of a gas-guzzling SUV for his daily 11-mile trips from Gracie Mansion to his Brooklyn gym. Here's what he said about it. So, so, so these are the big broad strokes for the plan. They, they could have wide impact. These are ci- civic decisions. Uh, but there's also personal things people can do. You talk a lot about some of the things you do your own life. You recycle. You make, yep. uh, your staff has said you go around City Hall turning off lights and so yes. on. Um, but I also do need to ask, uh, you live on the Upper East Side in Gracie Mansion. Uh, most days, or several days a week, a city uh, SUV drives you 11 miles to a gym in Brooklyn, as opposed to one that's close to where you currently reside. Uh, what what sort of environmentally responsible example are you setting there, taking this drive in a car as opposed to going someplace nearby? So the example we're setting first and foremost, let's let's look at this exact question before us. The plans we have put forward we're acting on will reduce emissions 30% in all of New York City by 2030. Uh, that's where we make huge change. Uh, to the question you ask, look, wherever I go in New York City, whether I take a subway, whether I go nearby or farther away to another borough, uh, I have a security detail that follows me in their cars either way. So let's be clear, this is just part of my life. I, I come from that neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, that's my home. I go there on a regular basis to stay connected to where I come from and not be in the bubble that I think for a lot of politicians is a huge problem. Uh, but the fact is that those cars and that security detail are part of the life of being mayor in New York City. There you go. It just is what it is. We can't do anything to change that. It's just my life. Screw the rest of you and your lives. This is my life that we're talking about here. Mr. Gore, just exactly how many tax credits have you paid up in, <laughs> so you can fly that big honking airplane of yours yeah. all over the world? You're right. I mean, the hypocrisy is not only palatable, you can smell it, you can see it, you can taste it. The Green New Deal, by the way, championed by fellow New Yorker, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Washington is a radical measure that called for a massive overall of the nation's economy and energy use to uh, cut emissions. The deal calls for the U.S. to shift away from fossil fuels such as oil and coal, replace them with renewable sources such as wind and solar power, calls for the virtual elimination of greenhouse gas emissions responsible for global warming by 2030. It's estimated to cost up to, you ready for this? 
This is the, no, no, we're talking about the Green New Deal. Now, I'm not just talking about New York City here. I'm talking about our country. The people who are behind this, you know, you know Cortez and the rest of them. It will cost $93 trillion to do what they want to do over the 10 years. Or, let's break it down per household, $600,000. That means $60,000 a year per household. Republicans have railed against the proposal, saying it would devastate the economy, trigger massive tax increases. A test vote on the proposal recently failed in the Senate, and see now the the Democrats in the Senate said that McConnell all he was trying to do was uh, to make them look bad. Well, it's not hard to make you look bad when you allow somebody uh, in your party to put forth these stupid ideas and then you sign off on them. You know, most of the people running for president for the nomination in the Democratic Party signed off on this Green New Deal. They're all about it until it comes up and they have to say to the American people, yeah, I believe in it and I'll vote for it. No senator voted to even begin debate on that legislation. No Democrat voted to begin the debate because they know this is a, I love using the old, this term that just started, a nothing burger. This is not even two slices of bread. This is a, this is making up a, a, a hamburger. This is saying that you, the emperor has no clothes and the food is invisible. De Blasio held a press conference to introduce further his $14 billion plan called One NYC 2050, Building a Strong and Fair City. Boy, that sounds like a socialist plan. Uh, He called it a new comprehensive plan to prepare our city for the future. Quote, every day we wait is a day our planet gets closer to the point of no return. Well, talk to, you know, Cortez. She knows it's all going to be over in 12 years. She's figured it all out. She's got her calculator and figured it all out. We are confronting the same interests that created the climate crisis and deepened inequality. There's no time to waste. We're taking action now before it's too late. You're going to lose in the courts, Mayor. Just telling you, you're going to lose in the courts. Under his Green New Deal, de Blasio said the city is committing to carbon neutrality by 2050 and 100% clean electricity, including hydropower. All right. I, I got to keep this story somewhere. Uh, I won't be on the air in 2050, I'll guarantee it. But I can say this, that whoever is, I hope they look back on this and all of you have a great laugh because of it. You know, learn the little-known strategies that could help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis. David Lucas is the man behind this of of David Lucas Financial and the host of the David Lucas Show that you hear at 101.1 FM, The Answer, every Saturday at 10 and 3 o'clock. The free analysis will reveal the little-known strategies, the the free uh, uh, strategies 
and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes with your IRA, 401k, Social Security benefits, and more. To get this free analysis, all you got to do is be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. It's your opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement. Again, call 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. All right, last segment of uh, this hour. Again, let me remind you what PI Roofing is up to. They have uh, bought Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services, which means now not only do you get the great, high-quality, comprehensive roofing of PI Roofing, and they do a great job of that, have been for years, uh, 14, 15 years, and they've been one of my advertisers uh, since the very beginning of their business, and it has grown exponentially. It does fantastic And uh, when they come out and they work on your roof, you know that you're going to get uh, the best uh, treatment you possibly can get, and you're going to get the best new roof you can possibly get. And I uh, need to get them out, recheck my roof. I'm past the uh, 13-year mark on my roof, and so I want them to come out and take a look at it and see what else might need to be, be done. Now, the other thing that they added to that was the whole thing about home repair services. You couldn't, you know, it was it was and still is difficult to get a contractor to come out to your house to, you know, fix where leaks have caused problems in your ceiling or in between your walls or things of that nature. Or you put your your foot through your your ceiling when you're up in the in the uh, the attic or whatever. Well, the folks at PI Roofing, that's not too small of a job for them. They'll take care of it for you and they do just as good of a job for that as they do for your roofing and now for cleaning out your gutters as well. They do all of those things now. For you to get involved in it and uh, to have your gutters cleaned, have your roof fixed so it's doing great, have the inside of your house uh, taken care of uh, for uh, problems you might have there, well, all you got to do, go to piroofing.com, piroofing.com. I use them. Highly recommend them to you. All right, story coming out of uh, Taos, New Mexico. Uh, Several years back during the Bush administration, uh, I took my show on the road and went down to Arizona to the King Anvil Ranch, and we did a whole uh, week of broadcasts from the border talking about the problems on the border and what was going on and how we could deal with it and and all the rest. And a group that I met while I was down there was the Minutemen. You may remember them. And they uh, worked on the border along with the Border Patrol, and uh, they didn't uh, arrest anybody. What they did is they would would come up and hold the people that they would find that were coming across the border until the Border Patrol could get there and and take over. Well, the leader of an armed group, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, they all had guns. Okay, they all had guns. You don't go out into the desert in the Southwest unless you're armed now uh, because you've got uh, the mules with the drugs and 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 you've got the illegal immigrants coming over and people have been shot, people that 
have ranches down in that area are afraid at times to go out at night because they don't know who they're going to run into. So uh, this is a uh, an armed group, and they're stopping undocumented migrants crossing into the United States from Mexico. And now they're going to be called into court as uh, federal prosecutors crack down on civilians attempting to enforce immigration policy. The FBI on Saturday arrested Larry Hopkins, leader of the United Constitutional Patriots Group, whose camouflage-wearing armed members claimed to have helped U.S. officials detain some 5,600 migrants in the last two months. The group claims to be working in support of President Donald Trump's crackdown on immigration. Last week, it drew the criticism of New Mexico's Democratic governor, Michelle Lewin. Now, Lewin had just been uh, uh, winning the governorship here in the last election. So what's interesting about this, a Democrat got involved. These people have been doing their thing for years down in New Mexico and Arizona, and they had had, uh, Republican governors who didn't have any problem with them helping out. Uh, Governor Michelle Lewin... Uh, Grisham and the American Civil Liberties Union, which accused it of illegally detaining migrants. Hopkins, who's 69 years old, who also goes by the name Johnny Horton. Remember who Johnny Horton was? Remember the musician, Johnny Horton? This is not the same guy. I'm just saying he goes by Johnny Horton. Was arrested in Sunland Park, New Mexico on a federal complaint charging him with being a felon in possession of firearms and ammunition, according to the FBI. He's expected to appear in federal court in Las Cruces, New Mexico. The uh, group he leads, the UCP, describes itself as a patriot group, helping U.S. Customs and Border Patrol cope with record numbers of Central American families crossing the border to seek asylum. It's had around half a dozen members camped out on a rotating basis near Sunland Park since late February. See, no problem here, but they're going to figure something out here so that they can cause problems, the ACLU and, and the governor. Videos posted online by them show members telling migrants to stop, sit down, and wait for agents to arrive. Critics are accusing the UCP of impersonating law enforcement. UCP spokesman Jim Benvey blamed Hopkins' arrest on political pressure from Luhan Grissom. The uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection said in a weekend statement that it did not support citizens taking law enforcement into their own hands and instead encouraged them to report suspicious activity to officials. Quote, the rule of law should be in the hands of trained law enforcement officials, not armed vigilantes, according to New Mexico Attorney General Hector Valderas. Hopkins, previously arrested in Oregon in 06 on suspicion of impersonating a police officer and being a felon in possession of a firearm, that's according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Don't know if that's true or not. Benvey described the UCP as mostly made up of military veterans who said carry firearms for self-defense. He denied that members of the group had pointed weapons at any migrants. So we're going to have to see how that all plays out out uh, in the courts in the Southwest. Uh, 
will be interesting to see how things have changed over about the last 10 years uh, with the Minutemen, because the Minutemen, they said the same things about them. But it was found that what they were doing uh, was legal and that they were working with uh, the Border Patrol to do uh, take care of things. So we'll, we'll have to see how all of this uh, works out uh, for them. I'll keep an eye on that story and what's going on. I just know this. The people that I met from the Minutemen were just uh, good folks that had gotten tired of uh, the federal government and their state government not doing what was necessary to protect their property, to protect their homes, protect their families, and took some of this into their own hands, were not in any way, shape, or form beating up migrants or anything. They would stop them as they were crossing their land. They would make them sit down, and they had to wait for the Border Patrol to come and check them out. I have no problem with it. Maybe some people do. But if you're living down there and you're the one that comes home and finds people camped out in your front yard that you don't know who they are and they do have weapons, then I would think that you might have a completely different perspective of what's happening. And, uh, you know, there's not enough uh, Border Patrol and ICE agents to take care of what's going on down there. They're being overrun. They got so many people coming across the border. I wonder if it's uh, the way it was on the King Anvil Ranch down there when I was there and they were having more than, uh, you know, 5,000 illegals come across their their ranch a day, a day. How would you be feeling? Would you be feeling like you were under uh, attack? I think I would. And if uh, if nobody was helping me out, I'd really be uh, at my wit's end as well. All right, got to take a break. Let's hear what the news brings to us at the top of the hour. And then uh, when we come back, hopefully uh, Robert Steinbach will be making his way to the show. We'll talk to him about the Mueller report, of course. And at 5 o'clock, We've got the folks from uh, Conduit News going to be with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, interesting story uh, coming out today. Nothing new uh, that we haven't talked about here on this show. I've talked about illegal immigration for years. And, uh, I mean, I was one of the first people that uh, put out bumper stickers, if you remember, of Build the Wall uh, during the Bush administration when I was uh, first getting uh, started here in the Little Rock area, and there a lot of people used to have those uh, stickers, and maybe we should bring them back again and have people start uh, putting them on their cars. Uh, this week, the U.S. Supreme Court will consider whether to count self-identified illegal immigrants in the 2020 census. Now, the cities are worrying that adding the citizenship question could undercount 6.5 million people. Now, the reason being that they're afraid that if they start asking it and um, using it to count how many illegals there are, the illegals won't answer because they're afraid that, you know, ICE is going to show up on their door and, and deport them. Their argument, however, isn't just about political power, but they want billions of dollars billions of dollars 
uh, you know, in in their uh, states. And that case, when you hear that, underscores what experts have saying, that there is a growing cost to us, the taxpayers, from the surge of Central American families and unaccompanied minors. You know, they all say, well, they, they don't get any government assistance, and that's BS. It's been BS for years, since the 50s, when uh, the Supreme Court said that we had to uh, educate illegals that came into our country. Dan Stein, uh, you know, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, I go to hold their feet to the fire every year. Well, Dan says the payout for the taxpayer is enormous and income to the Treasury is minuscule. A fair study in 2017 found illegal immigrants are a net consumer of taxpayer benefits worth more than $100 billion a year, not including the cost of enforcing the border. While federal benefits are supposed to be off-limits in practice, most are not. More than 25,000 undocumented workers receive subsidized housing, and that's according to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Children receive free education. Most qualify for English lessons, and they also get free school breakfast and lunch. Illegal immigrants do not qualify for Obamacare, but under federal law, hospitals and clinics are required to provide urgent medical care without regard to legal status. Pregnant women are entitled to prenatal and postpartum care under the Women, Infants, and Children program. Infant delivery costs are paid for by Medicaid. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association, not a left, you know, a right-leaning magazine by any stretch of the imagination, well, the study found a federal state immigrant insurance program costs $2 billion a year in emergency treatment, not including the $1.24 billion in infant delivery expenses. Illegal immigrants are not entitled to food stamps, but families with U.S.-born children are. According to the Center for Immigration Studies, 31% of such families use the SNAP program, and more than 50% of Central American families in the U.S. use at least one welfare program. This is especially true of asylum seekers. That, according to Arthur uh, Art Arthur, a former immigration judge now with the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, that's an immigration think tank, Arthur said because there is a three- to five-year lag time between apprehension and court appearance, young asylum seekers put down roots, allowing many to access programs they are initially unaware or afraid to use. You're going to buy a house, get a job, have kids, he said, so their entire life changes, and that means their claim changes. And that means problems Because of a lack of a bright line for immigration judges, appeals are endless and people don't leave. 
recognizing that many illegal workers fill jobs communities need. 26 states offer them, quote, state-funded benefits. New York State offers up to $300 a month in cash assistance. 11 states offer free or subsidized medical and hospital care. California offers food stamps, legal services, and benefits for those over 65 or disabled. Governor Gavin Newsom, California, recently asked for an extra $50 million from lawmakers to serve the state's illegal immigration population. Such sanctuary states and immigrant-friendly cities are an obvious draw, but others say it is all about finding work, not using benefits. When I read that, I can't believe somebody actually said that. The current population survey conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau in 2018 found Central American families may struggle financially in the U.S., but they work at high rates. At the end of the day, people are going to go where their jobs are, not necessarily where the services are, said Ali Nurani, director of the National Immigration Forum. And let me tell you what, that's a bunch of hokum. You get, uh, you, here's where the, what they do. They go where the immigration law is the weakest. They're just like water. They flow to in the area of least resistance. So, yes, 26 states may provide state-funded access to public benefits, he says, but if those states don't have a growing economy and don't have jobs that are open to immigrants, much as anybody else, they're not going to see them. Up to 70% of immigrants apprehended at the border this fiscal year are families or unaccompanied minors claiming asylum. Unlike other border crossers, after six months asylum, Seekers qualify for work permits and most taxpayer subsidies. But because most are unskilled and uneducated, they earn minimum wage or less. Almost half, according to the census survey, never finished high school. They earn 40% less than U.S.-born workers and about 50% of families live in poverty. They require community support for food and cash for necessities. Some have sponsors, but most are usually immediate families that are not much better off. There's a cause for communities for sure, Senator Martha McSally, a Republican of Arizona, said last week outside a a Salvation Army shelter in Yuma. Whether it is in uncompensated care in hospitals or the education system in different ways, it has never really been measured, but it is very real. Ask California about this. Ask them about their emergency rooms in Southern California that were overwhelmed about 10 years ago, and most of them went out of business. Uh, Talk to them about their schools, schools that were just inundated with the illegals and uh, their education in their area for their citizens suffered. Ask them on the East Coast about that. Ask them on the East Coast about MS-13 that is terrorizing the uh, civilian populace. Advocates for illegal immigrants argue most studies are flawed because they do not account for their economic contribution to the economy as a whole, not just because they perform jobs Americans won't, but studies don't account for their lower wage differential 
that produces cost savings to U.S. consumers. We need an immigration system that treats the American taxpayer fairly. Right now, our immigration system doesn't treat the American taxpayer fairly, and I would argue it really treats nobody fairly. At the federal level, what the Congress and the President need to do is work together to create an immigration system that is fair to the taxpayer and 10 or 11 million people who are undocumented. U.S. officials expect a million additional illegal immigrants this fiscal year. If it keeps going the way it is, it would be much more than that. As the Border Patrol is currently apprehending up to 4,000 illegals a day, and most will claim asylum, entitling them to government benefits. And that's the dollars and cents of it, to say the least. Not uh, not good by any stretch of uh, the imagination. I mean, this is what we talk about, and it's as if nobody pays any attack, uh, uh, you know, anything on this at all. Well, a new poll in New Hampshire states uh, that it's uh, going to, of course, hold the first first primary in the race for the White House. Has three uh, Democrats pulling away from the crowd. There's Senator Bernie Sanders of neighboring Vermont leading the battle for the Democratic presidential nomination. Uh, also, the uh, University of New Hampshire Granite State poll shows former Vice President Joe Biden a distant second with uh, South Bend, Indiana mayor surging into third place. And the survey released Monday puts Republican President Trump far ahead of his declared or potential primary rivals in New Hampshire GOP presidential primary, which will be held in uh, February. According to the poll, 30% of likely Democratic primary voters in the Granite State say that they're going to back Sanders. The Independent uh, from Vermont, who's making a second straight run for the White House, and Sanders crushed eventual nominee Hillary Clinton in the state's 2016 Democratic primary. Biden, who's expected to launch his White House bid this week, is at 18%, and in, in our South Bend mayor is at 15%. Sanders held a 26-22% edge over Biden in the New Hampshire's previous poll, which was conducted back in February, and uh, the new and the South Bend mayor stood at just 1% in that survey. While Biden continues to garner the second most support among likely Democratic primary voters, his share of support has fallen considerably and I believe will continue to fall because he's being attacked uh, by the left. And many of the people, the people who are mounting this attack are Sanders people. Uh, support for Sanders has remained largely steady as he has led the field over the past year. The uh, University of New Hampshire survey differs from a St. Aslam College Survey Center poll released two weeks ago. That survey indicated Biden on top at 23%, Sanders at 16 and the mayor from New uh, from uh, South Bend at 11 Now, Senator Elizabeth Warren of neighboring Massachusetts is at 5%. Warren, while still among the top five Democratic candidates, continues to experience far less support than she enjoyed in 2017 and 18. 
Senator Kamala Harris of California registered at 4%, and Cory Booker of New Jersey, former Representative uh, Beto O'Rourke of Texas at 3%. Senator Amy Kobacher uh, of uh, Minnesota, Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, and New York entrepreneur Andrew Yang, all at 2%. Everybody else is at 1% or less. So there's, there's where we're sitting thus far. You're saying, why are you telling me this, Dave? And that's because the 2020 race has already begun. The first uh, debate is in June of the Democrats. It's going to be interesting to see who's in it. we got more to talk about. Stick around. We'll come back in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the person standing uh, in front of the uh, railroad bridge waving a red flag trying to stop the Democratic train from going uh, past her and off the uh, bridge that is out. She's cautioning House Democrats on bringing impeachment proceedings against President Donald Trump. And she's doing that today ahead of a Monday evening caucus conference call to discuss the findings of special counsel Robert Mueller's report. The call is coming as Democrats remain split on whether to seek the president's ouster based on the special counsel's finding uh, described in his 448-page report released on Thursday. The Justice Department report specifies the inner workings of the two-year Russia probe and details how investigators found no evidence of collusion involving the Trump campaign and Russia before the 2016 presidential election. Pelosi wrote in a letter to caucus members hours uh, before the call that's going to go down, that's uh, happening right now, in fact. Quote, while our views range from proceeding to investigate the findings of the Mueller report or proceeding directly to impeachment, we all firmly agree that we should proceed down a path of finding the truth. It is also important to know that the facts regarding holding the president accountable can be gained outside of impeachment hearings. As we proceed to uncover the truth and present additional needed reforms to protect our democracy, we must show the American people we are proceeding free from passion or prejudice, har, 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 uh, strictly on the uh, presentation of facts. Pelosi then pledged to support the House's ongoing investigations into the president. Quote, as to the president's conduct, we will uh, look seriously and assert Congress's constitutional duty to honor our oath of office to support and defend the Constitution and our democracy. That includes honoring the Article I responsibility of the legislative branch to conduct oversight over the other branches of government unified in our search for the truth and in upholding the survey of our elections. Several progressive Democrats are uh, including now Warren, Cortez, and uh, Talib, or Talib, uh, pledged their support for impeachment proceedings, citing the Mueller's report's findings, places them at odds with House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. We'll have more on this when we return Got to get to your one-minute news break and then pay for some bills. And then Robert Steinbach is on his way, and he and I can talk about this in a moment. Back with you. 
you like uh, Nick Cage? Do you like uh, Nicholas Cage, the actor? I do. I don't think he's a brilliant actor, but I enjoy him. All right. I got this is the latest uh, on him. The woman that Nicholas Cage was married to. Which one? I think he's been married several times. Yeah, for four days. For four days, okay. Before filing for an annulment. Right. Claims she's entitled to spousal support. And they want, uh, and she wants the face-off star to pay for her legal fees. Mm-hmm. The 55-year-old actor married Erica Koki during a night of drinking in sure Las Vegas. <laughs> it could be Koki. Right. Anyway, during a night of drinking in Las Vegas after dating for a year, mm-hmm. he filed for an annulment just four days later explaining in court documents that he was too drunk to adequately agree to this big decision. Mm-hmm. Prior to obtaining a marriage license and participating in a marriage ceremony, they were both drinking to the point of intoxication, the court papers say. According to a report from TMZ, she agreed to a divorce but doesn't agree that the impulsiveness of the decision qualifies for an annulment. As a result, she believes she's el- eligible for spousal support she claims she lost career opportunities during the relationship. Four days? Yeah, well, during during their relationship, well, remember they dated part. for yeah. That's a dating part. As a result of her damaged reputation, Cage for previ- having dated him. <laughs> Cage previously oh alleged that she didn't disclose her full criminal history to oh my him. Gosh. Uh, but but part of it apparently. <laughs> okay, now, however, the plot thick- thickens in that the uh, the woman. Revealed Cage asked her to start again, quote, in the right way, just 12 days after filing for an annulment, which she claims proves the the relationship was legit. Representatives for Cage did not immediately respond. Don't you wish you were a Hollywood big shot? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. Here's what we were talking about. Now, seriously, all right? Here's what I was talking about. Uh, before you came on and that is that uh, Pelosi has uh, today sent out a letter to the caucus the Democrat caucus saying hey uh, here's how I envision this this is here's the speaker of the house she got this big red flag Mm -hmm. she's standing along the railroad track Mm -hmm. and the train is coming and it's the Democrat party Mm -hmm. And the bridge is out ahead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's waving this flag at the, the train to mm-hmm, slow down mm-hmm, and stop. Mm-hmm. She wants them to stop from proceeding on impeachment. Right. About half, <coughs> half of these people want to continue. Yeah, including Elizabeth Warren in, in the Senate, of course. Yes, yes, yes. We talked about her right. and Harris. Right. And uh, now... Cory Booker now has said, nah, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Nadler has said, nah, we're not there yet. <coughs> uh, and then Shift said, nah, you know, we're not going to do it I unless it's, it's for the best of the country. I thought it's hiding in plain sight, according to Shift. Well, that's what he, where's, oh. my, where's my piece that he said today? Hold on, let me, let's do this. Here's Adam Schiff yesterday on ABC. Mm-hmm. This is cut number seven. Play that up for us, would you, Russ? 
simply haven't read or ignoring the plain language of the report where Bob Mueller says uh, two things. He says, we're not going to look into the question of whether it's collusion. That's a common uh, lay term uh, that can be criminal or non-criminal conduct. We're going to look at the crime of conspiracy. And on that issue, Bob Mueller says something else that I've been saying frequently, which is the fact that you may not be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt a criminal conspiracy doesn't mean that there's an absence of evidence of crime. Uh, and when I talked, uh, Chris, and you're absolutely right, I talked about this all the time on the, uh, on the course of the last year. When I talked about evidence of collusion in plain sight, I used those words in plain sight. And I pointed to the meetings in Trump Tower that uh, Don Jr. and Kushner and Manafort took. Uh, and what more clear intent to collude could you have than the Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton as part of what was described as an effort to help Mr. Trump in the campaign? And Don Jr. saying, if it's what you say, I would love it. Now, I don't know how you find more abundant evidence of an intent to collude than that. But, but sir. Uh, and in fact, Yes. Uh, well, uh, let me just say, the, the Mueller report looked at a lot of those specific incidences you talk about. For instance, the Trump Tower meeting, the fact that Paul Manafort shared polling data with someone uh, from the Ukraine who had ties to the Russians. And here's what they found. Again, from the report, volume one, page 66, the investigation examined whether these contacts, and they agree there were contacts, involved or resulted in coordination of a conspiracy with the Trump campaign in Russia, including with respect to Russia providing assistance to the campaign in exchange for any sort of favorable treatment in the future. Based on the available information, the investigation did not establish such coordination. There you go. Yeah, Schiff is a liar. I, I got to tell you, it's really remarkable. Either he's a liar or he is. Or he's no, just plain stupid. Uh, or he's, well, I guess there's three <laughs> options. He's a liar. He's an idiot, or he has no understanding of what language means. He doesn't understand how language operates. Here's the interesting thing about the report. As you know, there are two volumes. Yes. One on uh, collusion hyphen conspiracy. The other one and, is obstruction. Uh, on obstruction. On collusion, Mueller affirmatively came out and said, no collusion, no conspiracy, whatever language. So... Schiff says, well, he didn't talk about collusion, he talked about conspiracy. Yeah, because collusion is is a lay term. Mueller says, what I understand collusion to mean is a conspiracy to work with the Russians to undermine the elections, et cetera, right. et cetera. So he doesn't say there is no such thing as collusion. He defines it correctly, by the way. And he says, no collusion. And we know that he says no collusion in part because he doesn't use the same locution when it comes to the um, the second volume. Yeah, the, obstruction. The obstruction, thank you. So Schiff, instead of at least being savvy politically, he's not even savvy politically, instead of focusing on the obstruction, which has the ambiguous language kicking it over to Congress, he focuses on the one volume in which Mueller says no Nothing. Nada. So Schiff's comment to the contrary, like I say, either means he's a liar, he's an idiot, or he fundamentally doesn't understand the operation of language. Yeah. Any of the above really puts in doubt his ability to continue to communicate on these issues. All right. So Bob Woodward was on over the weekend. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now everybody knows Bob Woodward. One of the guys 
that uh, with what the Washington Post during Nixon. Sure. Okay. During Watergate. And against, in Watergate. That's and right. Watergate keeps being brought up oh, by yeah. the Democrats. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I want you to listen what Woodward has to say mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dances around what Mueller said, and but well, then, shifting, but then he get yeah, but then he gets to the end and he talks about Watergate. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna find this real oh, interesting. I, yeah, yeah. Here's Bob Woodward. Bob, when you read Volume Two of the Mueller report, which is the part that centers on obstruction, and uh, Mueller lays out ten specific potential cases of obstruction. How disturbing do you find them? Well, uh, they're disturbing. I think there's a pattern of lying and corruption here that can't be dodged. But um, Jason's right. The big conclusion on no, I mean, collusion is a bad word, no coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians, that is a big deal, and it's got to be faced. And uh, there is, there, there are elements in the report that are very disturbing, uh, Basically, uh, and I'm sure President Trump would not acknowledge this, it confirms what was reported in the New York Times, my newspaper, and the Wall Street Journal in a a very significant way. The question uh, bubbling here is, is this Watergate? Is this Nixon? And the big missing element in all of this is money. Nixon used campaign money for the Watergate operation, espionage and sabotage. He used campaign money to pay for the silence of the people involved in Watergate. Clear obstruction. In this case, you have no money paid by Trump or his associates. You know who paid for the Russian meddling in our election? Vladimir Putin. There you go. Yeah, that's remarkable. He's yeah, that, yeah, Woodward basically. Right. I think that if he were in a meeting with the Democrats, would put a kibosh on their whole thing about thinking about impeachment because you lied, because you you may have uh, misled. Is not criminal. It, what I think about impeachment is, and I may be sort of using a, a, a um, controversial theory or employing a controversial theory, I think the Democrats should start impeachment. You know why? I can think of no greater way to ensure the re-election of President Trump. Oh, yeah. Trump. I, I've already right? mentioned that. Right. So just That's to be clear, why Pelosi is waving the exactly, red flag right now. Exactly. So don't just to be clear, I don't, I don't want the audience to misunderstand. I'm not in favor of impeachment. Right. But I think strategically, impeachment would virtually guarantee the re-election of Donald Trump. And that's what I would prefer over any of the Democratic candidates. Oh my Lord! Yes, right? absolutely. I, I, the new uh, New Hampshire uh, poll said the top three right Democrats now are yes Sanders right. He's leading the leading right. the way thirty percent, thirty three percent maybe. Mm-hmm. Number two, Biden mm-hmm. trailing badly now. Had been very strong, but right. now trailing off, and that's because. The Sanders campaign is leading the the attack on him ah. about uh, you know his uh, touching women yeah. and and all of that and being out of touch and he whatnot. He gives a new, a new definition to being a touchy feely politician. Yeah, yeah, seventeen percent. Right. Okay, but at fifteen and virtually they're figuring in a dead heat right. for a second now. It's uh, the mayor of South Bend. Mayor Pete. Yeah, Mayor, mayor Pete. Pete. 
Yeah, because I, I don't think anybody other than him knows how to really pronounce his last name. Exactly. Like Budichek? I don't know. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, I, I will say this, I'm not going to vote for any of the Democrats, uh, or even the most moderate of Democrats is too left for me, uh, but what I've seen so far, and it's limited, Klobuchar seems relatively moderate, and she also seems temperate. Five percent. Yeah, yeah. Five percent. And there was an article in the New York Times this weekend saying, can the... Uh, Democrats nominate a white male. It's really remarkable. Isn't that amazing? Right. It's like, how do you, first of all, how do you make But that's that a bed, that's a bed that they made. Absolutely. But it's also so remarkable that in today's age, you're allowed to say that. You're like, oh, well, we can't, we're allowed to say you can't nominate a white male. Anybody else, you can't say that. Because Dave, gosh knows, I know that with that silver spoon in, in your mouth and yeah, the gold-plated uh, uh, fixtures at your house, because I was at your house for Thanksgiving. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen how high in the hog you're living. Uh, that that you grew up in privilege because of your color and your plumbing. That's right. Is that absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you joined the military, you did it like one of the the Bushes did, right? As part of noblesse oblige, right? Yeah, you were right. High minded rich person who joined the military, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I became an officer. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sure. it's just remarkable. <laughs> but you're absolutely right that the the, the left it, it has has shot themselves in the foot when they well we can't elect a we can't nominate a uh, a white male. It's that's, just a, first of all, that's, it's racism. That's what at least a third of that party believes. Oh, a, oh, maybe a third. 50, maybe fifty percent. I think a third don't believe it. Two oh, thirds okay. believe it. Right. Okay. I, and and the fact is that they will now. And I do believe that they will discriminate against white men in their nominating process. And as a function of that. That means Sanders will get screwed twice. That's right. That's right. And as a function, <laughs> likely produce someone far more to the left. Although, like I said, I think Amy Klobuchar seems to be a moderate candidate. Um, and, and so if they chose her, they wouldn't. But otherwise, they're going to produce a far leftist candidate. And it's going to be far harder for them to win. I truly believe that in this election, the only chance that Democrats have, I don't think it's a great chance, but the only chance they have is to nominate a, a moderate uh, and try to pull away some of those middle voters on the bell curve uh, from uh, Trump. Unless, unless yeah. they run somebody who's far to the left and choose someone like Klobuchar right. to run for vice president. Maybe. I'm not, uh, this is a perennial debate as to whether or not the vice presidential candidate really does anything at all. And I tend to come out on the side of saying that he or she does not. But it's, you know, of course, it's a guess because you can't unwind these things to, right. to reevaluate um, after the fact. But I tend to think that the, Demo the vice presidential candidate doesn't do much. Now, I will say this. When uh, Clinton picked uh, Tim Kaine, that it didn't hurt her. But it also didn't help her because he was as milk toast as she is. I think that's why she chose him. She didn't want somebody to upstage her. I think had she chosen someone who was at least marginally dynamic, let's say, let's put it this way, someone who we couldn't that we would be able to tell just by looking at them that they had a pulse. Right. That's it. You stole my joke, <laughs> Russ. You stole my joke. In the middle of the show, right? So, well, so, we just talk about this stuff so I know, much. I'm teasing you, right? So, um, uh, that's the thing. If he, if you chose someone who was alive, uh, then maybe it could have tipped her up a little bit. Uh, and it was a close election. So, so who knows? By the way, 
there was a, uh, an op-ed piece, or excuse me, an editorial piece uh, in the uh, uh, um, New York Times again. Oh, I forget her name. I'll look it up during the break. Uh, she's a regular writer for the New York Times, and she talks about uh, how she she or friends needed counseling when Trump was elected. Oh, All of these leftist why? Because the leftists have created this environment, which this bubble in which they live, right? Which is, oh, I need to be treated like a delicate daisy, and I'm and and I need trigger warnings, and I need. It's all the same things that you see in academia across the country. That we're getting country. rid of That's here right, in that our we're colleges, of, yes. right? Because we're, we're raising a bunch of babies. Yes, we and are. And she talks all about this stuff and how devastating it was for her when Trump was elected. And they don't seem to recognize that Republicans and conservatives were not happy when Obama was elected. But guess what? We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We uh, buckled our pants and went out to work. Well, we dealt with what we were dealt. That's, That's right. what you have to do. That's okay. Right. We got to get a break in. Let's do that. News is coming up top of the hour. Don't forget Conduit News will join us in the next hour. We'll talk with them. Robert's going to stick around as well just so that we all can get into a spirited debate here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish up this hour. Uh, Teresa is going to ask you a question here, Robert. Go ahead, Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Uh, Hi, Robert. Uh, A few weeks ago, I heard about a court case out of Alaska. Uh, Trump had rescinded, overwritten whatever, an Obama executive order about oil drilling up there. And the judge that Obama had appointed had said, no, Trump, you can't do that. Obama's executive order stands. And I didn't understand that because executive orders are always overdone or redone in the next administration. Indeed. Are you familiar? I'm not familiar with this particular one. But uh, as a general matter, you're exactly right that uh, executive orders are as easily implemented or rescinded as the reverse. Uh, So that does surprise me. Maybe there was something about... Once something, well, it's usually once something gets started, then the burden can shift a little bit to stopping it. But if Obama had stopped something and um, uh, um, uh, Trump said you could start, that seems harder to envision why a judge would interfere. Although, as I talk about this, one possibility is that third parties were claiming certain rights, and when Obama issued his executive order, uh, the issue of the third party rights never manifested because there was no pipeline being built. And now that a pipeline would be built, given the rescinding of the Obama order, uh, those third parties filed suit to say, okay, now our rights are being affected. Please stop the Trump executive order, albeit it seems in that case it would be less about the executive order and more about the underlying property right. So I'm not sure specifically, but it strikes me that's likely what's happening. Well, the way it looks, it looks to me that the Obama judge, I don't agree with Roberts. I agree that there are judges by presidents and their presidents because they are right. of similar course in they. ideology. Of course they are. That's, I mean, that's, it's so, such, that's a nonsense statement, by the way, by Justice Roberts for the audience. Justice Roberts said, no such thing as a Trump judge or a Democrat yeah. judge or a Republican judge. <laughs> well, of course there are. Now, it doesn't mean that they are so biased as to vote in favor or against an administration just because they were appointed or not appointed by that administration. But they, the judges are appointed based on their political and the judicial philosophy and judges appointed by Democrats overall on, on issues that are, are on the margin 
vote differently than judges appointed by Republicans. We know that to be the case. And a claim by the, the chief justice, chief justice to the contrary is, well, simply untrue. Well, as I, said, I just heard that and I thought it was kind of a interesting case. The other one I liked was the Supreme Court for the ninth district where they said judges are appointed for life, not for eternity. Right, yeah. right, right. That yeah. one was pretty good when that judge, well, I won't say, I'm sorry the guy died, but he had already ruled, but they hadn't published it, and he said they can always change their mind. And I thought, you know, I never thought about that before. That's right. Anyway, right. I'm always kind of watching the Supreme Courts and other judges because other court decisions because they're interesting. All right, Indeed. Teresa, Thank we got to so run. Much, I'm up against the news. Thank you for your call. We'll be back. Conduit News will join us. All right, back with you. Last hour of a Monday show. And our friends from up in northwest Arkansas, Conduit News are with us, Brenda and Joe. Good to have you with you guys. Hope that your uh, Resurrection Sunday was a good day. Did you guys have a, you know, did you have some chocolate along with uh, going to church and stuff? It was a great, it was a great day. Yeah, yeah, it's always I a good day. It was a great day. I had strawberry instead of chocolate this time. No, well, that's good. That's good. I, 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 I went... I remembered why I do not make strawberry cakes. <laughs> why is that? Wasn't it good? Well, it was good, but, you know, if you don't mind, you know, licking your finger a lot and it's just the icing, you know, I just haven't mastered that yet after 30 years. <laughs> Did you eat too much of it? Is that what you're saying, really? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's move right into this. Uh, Robert's here. I'm here. You guys are there. Uh you sent me a, a message today, Brenda, about a failure of leadership. And what I'll do is, why don't you start, and Joe, you jump in, and and then we'll all get into this conversation about failure of leadership in the GOP. Go ahead. We talked about failure of leadership. We've been talking about it recently, especially in light of the governor's proclamation last Thursday that this was the uh, greatest session ever, which I have some comments about that. Just uh, wondering if we now have name it and claim it prosperity gospel, but not to badmouth Joel Osteen in any kind of way, but really failure of leadership. And we, we just came off of Easter and looking at what's going on in our churches and, of course, our faith stands on principle and absolutes and, and belief system. And many of us are in a, our parties, our political parties, because we believe in the principles on which they're established. And when leaders don't lead, uh, the body loses its, its path, its direction, and becomes ineffective. And that's really, we're seeing that in the churches. You can say the Catholic faith, the uh, Protestant, look at what the United Methodists are going through right now. Uh, you see it in the Southern Baptist. Across the spectrum is a failure of leadership. But, you know, on this show, we talk about um, politics. And I'll let Joe sort of pick up from there. Well, well, from from my perspective, the, the failure of leadership is not the lack of leadership. Those are two different things. There are people that insist on leading, and and you can make the point, which is a good one, that they get elected, then they are in a position of leadership to some extent. Other people grab it, and other people buy it. And to me, we're coming from this perspective of conservative principles that are espoused by people, and they get in a position of authority, which is, again, distinctly different than leadership, and, and they do the opposite, but try to claim 
that they're doing the leading towards what? Towards the Republican Party goals? Well, that's clearly provably false. So when when you present that, try to help um, in private, what they decide to do is to uh, demonize or attack. You know, like who who would you guys say the opposition was to the governor and the Senate leader? Uh, who's the opposition right now? I mean, it's certainly not the Democrat Gazette, which is the traditional anything Republican is no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're cheerleaders for it. So who is the opposition or are we all just fat and happy and it just could not get any better? Well, I think all of us here know better than that because we can do math, we can remember and we can read. Well, and there there were principles espoused that were accomplished this session. And there was an article in today's paper from Doug Thompson, the political editor, but it wasn't an editorial. It was a front page, you know, fact news story outlining the success of the uh, session and reduce taxes. Well, you know, we know that Republicans, yes, we should reduce taxes, but it was a redistribution of wealth rather than a reduction in taxes. Uh, Military reciprocity was in the paper uh, this week. And, you know, it's great that that we were going to give license reciprocity to military spouses that move here to Arkansas. Uh, Senator Hendren stood up in our county committee last week bragging on that. I, I agree with that. I applaud that. But that proves that our legislature knows that licensure and that making that process easy is good for our economy. Why is it limited to a restricted group? Why just the military spouses? So they know the principles, but they're not spreading them out evenly. Uh, uh, bragging on licensing for uh, DACA nursing license. I mean, it's great to be able to give uh, illegals who are here a, a career path, but why not for everyone? Because we saw the medical board restrict licensing, not wanting to share, you know, other uh, professions the right to perform what they were trained to do. It's so, very inconsistent. So we see that they know the principles. But the the fact that they have restricted the application and only selectively applied them, that is a failure of leadership. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. The whole thing about DACA, to me, is a pretty uh, simple one to figure out. That's political expediency at its worst. It's political correctness. It's by attacking, by not attacking, but by uh, granting this to illegals, it's proving that you know, Republicans have hearts, and uh, for Latinos that they can trust Republicans to help take care of them. The rest of you, forget about it. They like illegals, but they don't like Oklahomans. That may be. That, a, that may be. That may be true. You know, my perspective well, that, is is a little bit different, and that is. I'm not looking – whenever I look at politicians, everybody's talking to me about how great they are as a leader, the politicians. I'm not looking for leaders. I'm looking for servants. I'm looking for public servants. I think Thank the go- you. Right? I think the governor's office has done for themselves and for the state, to be clear, what they needed to do, meaning I'm not saying I agree with every decision. And we, Dave and I spoke about this, I think, last week. But they they had a – they sort of operate the machinery of, of the government. And in that respect – they pursued bills to help them operate the machinery. And so 
I don't want to evaluate the, what the governor did because they did what they need to do and, and they did many good things and maybe some things I disagree with and that's okay. We can, you know, and I strongly support the governor even if I may or may uh, from time to time disagree with some of the specific actions. My disappointment is in the legislature and not from a leadership standpoint. Each and every legislator, senator and representative is an island in and of himself or herself, and they need to vote uh, their consciences, and they need to vote if they're Republicans slash conservatives, they need to vote conservatively. And time and time again, this legislative session we see failure by individual legislators, and enough of those individual failures leads up to collective failure. So we were successful on life issues. We were unsuccessful on gun issues. Yep. We were marginally well, and, and successful. We all need highways. You right. know, no doubt that we have to have highways. We want good highways. And, and so they, they chose a path to fund the highways. You know, I applaud that, except for the method. Increasing taxes is not the method that is a conservative Republican principle. You know? There was already plenty of money being spent if they would spend it wisely and be accountable, which is their anti-accountable. Now, Robert, I, I, I you know, to your, to your perspective, you know, I've got to say no way. It is not the individual legislators, although if you look at the votes, you can you could draw that conclusion. But there is pressure and the leader, the so-called leaders in the party have decided what they're going to do to amass their own power. And they aren't having any of this other stuff and they will allow people to vote against it or for it as they need for their districts back home. But it ain't going to pass or it it is going to pass depending on what they want. Well, if that's the case, then these legislators need to stand up not to lead. These legislators need to stand up if they're getting pressure from the higher ups in the in the legislature and say, I'm not voting that way, period, Uh, because they they and the governor and the so-called leaders, uh, they they bring all the uh, establishment people, the chambers of commerce types, the, the people that profit and benefit from government, plus the Democrats to bear on their primary elections. We've seen it. That's what happened. Well, suck it up. My res- I, 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 and I hear you. I, I'm not disagreeing with the, the, the facts that you're proffering. But my response is, suck it up. You, When people run for office, I think what they fail to understand is they're not applying for a job. They're applying to represent their constituents. And if they can't get it done, then they shouldn't seek that office. And I agree with you. you know, I see all these people buckling under to the municipal league. The municipal league? These are. This is a private an organization funded with public money because the cities take taxpayer dollars and spend it on this private lobbying organization to go out and lobby for the citizens' needs? No way! For the bureaucrats. Well, if you keep it up, we're going to keep you from being able to put anything on the ballot, Robert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So well, this I is the... suck it up. I mean, tell that to Brian King and Linda Collins-Smith. Well, hey, hey! if enough people continue to do it, they will get elected. It is that simple. And there are people yeah. like Kim Hammer, who pursued a bunch of controversial bills in the legislature. Bob Ellinger was pursuing free speech over and over again and got pushback from, for example, Trent Garner on free speech. 
Well, Bob Bellinger's doing okay so far. So I take your point. But guess what? Sometimes you've got to climb uphill to get to the top of the mountain. And, and I'm tired of these legends. Well, the, the leadership doesn't want it. I don't care. So you're right to right. criticize a leadership if a leadership is saying, go along to get along. You're right to criticize them. But you also have to criticize the members because the leadership wouldn't have the power that they have if it wasn't for the members buckling under. So I, I think it takes both analyses to, to get to a positive improvement. Well, what improvement. I fear is that the Republican Party, in fact, is – starting to align more with what the Democrats say about the Republican Party, which I never believed it did. But you got big business interests Mm -hmm. over individual freedom, and the Democrats and Republicans join in in their so-called self-appointed leadership roles, Mm -hmm. uh, leadership by extortion, I would say, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they join with keeping government big. Now, they can go out and claim tax cuts all summer long. It doesn't make it so. The, the, the money going to the government is more every year, and the governor, to his credit, said it was going to be more. Right. Well, then quit, then quit telling people that you believe in reducing the size of government. And cutting taxes. Just don't say that anymore then. And it's even well, worse. About, I think you bring up a good point, Joe, but I think it's even worse because the example that I use in Municipal League, it's one thing for the legislators to be concerned with business, and, I, and they should not prioritize business over citizenry. They should be all on equal footing. But when you pri- prioritize the Municipal League, and I've seen it happen from Republicans – then you're prioritizing bureaucrats over the citizenry, and that is never right. Well, and, and you, you make a great point there, but I think a little caveat would be you know, there's a distinction between large businesses and small businesses because small businesses are the individual. That's right. And, I agree with that. And, and we're sticking it to the small business, which is collectively bigger than the big business, but That's right. the big business has a better lobby. And they combine with government to lobby itself with our money to just like the, the uh, tax thing that Bart Hester did with uh, uh, C corporations. You know, there's a handful of companies that are going to benefit from that. But all the smaller businesses are going to suffer with the Internet tax. That's right. And you see this, by the way, you're, you're, you're absolutely right on that, because you see that on this the big business allying uh, with Corporate with a government rather than with small business and a citizenry, and you see this when big business supports regulation. You're like, wait, business supporting yeah. extra regulation? Why? Why? Because regulation serves as a barrier to entrance for small business. Big business, it doesn't negatively impact. So the big companies want more regulation. It keeps the competition away. Well, and that's, that's what kind of brings us back to the failure of leadership, because where are they leading us to? And it seems that where's the opposition to any of this? Well, what is it, just Conduit and Dave Ellswick? Is that the only opposition they've got? So what do they do then? They try to destroy Conduit by making it personal. Mm-hmm. All right. And that works. Okay, everybody hold hold your fire. We'll come back and we'll continue speaking. We've got the folks from Conduit News. Brenda and Joe are with us, conduitnews.com. Remember their website. Always check out each day to see what articles they may have 
for you to peruse. Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. All cars and trucks reach the end of their life for one of two reasons. Either they're worn out or they've been totaled in an accident. And it's those total cars that Sonny's interested in. Just because a car is totaled doesn't mean that everything that's in the car that makes the car the car doesn't work. All right, a lot of it still works. Engines still work. Transmissions still work. All kinds of stuff still work. And guess what? If it happens to br- that something that works breaks in your car, you can have a, you know, a transplant, so to speak, from that total loss vehicle. Every part guaranteed comes with a standard warranty. They offer one, two, three-year warranties on all parts. I've used Sunny's extensively. I've had uh, two engines put in. Uh, two different cars, a transmission put in uh, my uh, SUV. They do a great job. They even can do the the labor for you, and it'll save you money. The phone number, 982-7451, 982-7451. That's Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. All right, we've got about three minutes left here before we get to the news at the bottom of the hour. Brenda and Joe, Conduit News, is with us. Also here, Robert Steinbach is is with us today, and, and you got you guys got to hear this, Brendan and and Joe. Today, Robert didn't get here normally as 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 uh, early as he does. He had a run in, or let me say that Amazon had a run in with his house. Is that right? Yeah, the, the Amazon. They've decided now to start delivering stuff themselves. Yeah, and the truck. Uh, apparently drove through my portico and it didn't fit and it damaged my portico and then I had to send in all these pictures all these and I had to tell them what I thought the damage was and then then they told me well you got to go out and get an estimate so I spent time going out to get an estimate and then they said oh well with that estimate we've got to send our appraiser I said why'd you do that from the start these people are giving me homework assignments I'm tired of bureaucrats <laughs> and corporatists giving me homework assignments and so they sent the guy out today seems very nice but I'm a little perturbed a by the way they never left me a note. I had to discover that they damaged it, and they seemingly are admitting it now. By the way, yeah. Uh, so, so they because God forbid the guy got out at the curbside and walked four feet to my porch. So he drives through the portico, almost rips it down, but damages it. And now they uh, then makes me go through all these hoops to get an estimate, only to say, "Oh no, we'll, we'll send out our own estimate." It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> That's not ridiculous. That is what you call economic development, my friend. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I just found that very interesting. I was kidding him about it. Well, I hope I hope Amazon uh, does me right. The estimator was a very nice guy, but he said, "Well, you know, we 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 estimate what we can see, but if there's more stuff, then that's a second estimate." I mean, you know, I'm just I, I'm done with the homework assignments. Just get it done. Fix Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, fix it. I don't know how it becomes on. I don't know how it becomes on the homeowner or the consumer to do all the work for these corporations. Hey guys, we we I got just about a minute left here before we go to news. When we come back, I I like to talk about a subject that irritates me, and that is we always talk on my show about, you know, and you guys talk about the principles of the Republican Party, which that's our platform. We have a platform that has things that we believe in and that we're going to push uh, in front of. However, there is nothing in the platform that says a Republican must follow the platform. Is it time that we added that to the platform? That the number one thing is, is that 
if you're going to be a Republican, these are the things you must believe and you must make your judgments on? I'd like to talk about that because I, I think it's a legitimate uh, area of discussion uh, to, to, to decide on. But before we do that, i got to get us to the news. We've got a one-minute news break coming up. Let's do that. Joe and Brenda will be back after the news. They'll uh, talk with me and, and to Robert about should a Republican candidate follow the Republican platform? I have I have no. I just talking to Robert during the break, Brendan Joe. Did you guys see the uh, video of the rabbit? I think it is in Florida that got into the fist fight with the dude and literally kicked the living poop out of him. Did we lose him? Did we lose him? We must have lost him. Oh, we're here. oh you're there. Did you guys see that that video of the the rabbit? The, the Easter rabbit beating up the guy down there in Florida. I think it was in Florida. Uh, no, but I like it. Yeah, you got to look <laughs> it up. Is the answer. <laughs> yeah, you guys got to look it up. It's great. Okay, so here's the question I left us with. Should the Republican Party, and I mean this would have to be all the of the, uh, you know, the counties come together and, and vote this in as a, a legitimate thing, have something in the the bylaws or whatever that say that if you're going to run as a Republican, you must subscribe to the Republican platform. You currently sign an affidavit when you run for office that basically says that you subscribe to the Republican platform. Okay. Now, when you want to challenge those who you've elected or who are running in your primary uh, or you've elected them and then they vote, do not vote accordingly, like we experienced just last week, and you'll hear, quote, the leadership stand up and say, you guys on the pews, you're here to elect Republicans. The platform is not part of this conversation. And that's right. And dividing the the Republican Party is something we cannot have. Or you'll have Democrats elected. Oh, yeah, those people. <laughs> I think I mean, we, we already just... have Democrats that were elected as Republicans. Absolutely. But, but here's, here's what it comes down to. is like anything else when you make a law. Well, what is the remedy? Okay, you don't, you know, arguably you, you have not voted according to the platform. Then what happens? You know, we, we what we... Pointed out, and then then what's next? I mean, I realize that there's there's something in there. Most committees that a two thirds vote can eject a member. Well, so what? Big whoop. Then they're going to run again. You can't prevent them from running. There's no remedy like that. And who who is the arbiter? Um, some there are some subjective, uh, strategic type votes that are done, and I get all that. But you can get so caught up into the party apparatus where we get away and we forget why we embraced principles to start with. I mean, were they there to improve the lives of our Kansans? Were they there to improve the lives and save lives of humans? I mean, if those principles aren't worth defending and remembering, I mean, why are we helping people get elected who do not, who are not going to support those principles with their vote? Right. I mean, how many years do they have to have power? to produce a result that is in the platform. Uh, you know, here, here's a question that I've got. Why, when if a Democrat has a 48% majority, they get their agenda through somehow. We got a 75% and we can't get ours through. 
Well, they have a 25 percent they're yeah. getting it through right now. Right. And so, so we get the Democrat agenda, which, you know, you can agree or disagree whether that's good or not. But with 75 percent Republicans, you get the Democrat agenda through greatest session of all times. And there's no blowback from the liberal media. Well, here's no. here's the big part. What you're saying, well, I can riddle you that. I, I'll play Batman. All right. I can give you an answer here. And the reason is because the part of the agenda that we are reaching for, the Republicans who are part of that, is only about maybe 25%. That's the problem right now. But when they ran, their their mailer did not say that. They said they were all in on conservative principles. They bullet pointed them. We, I mean, the the example that our county committee, uh, Jim Hendren spoke to our county committee last week to admonish them for putting out the resolution. Uh, asking the legislators to vote against those tax increases. Yeah. And when you when you look at the votes on those bills, except for the one tax cut, which we did not even bring up, that had passed the beginning of the session, all Republican, I mean, excuse me, all Democrats voted with Jim Hendren. There were these Republicans you're talking about, a handful of them, of them voting against it. Now, if Hendren was so proud of his conservative principles, why is it all the Democrats voted with his bills? He turns to our committee and says those were not tax increases. I mean, how insulting. But, you know, why would the Democrat, why would the Republican, excuse me, why would the Democrats support those bills if they were not, if they were actually tax cuts? That's what I'm talking about. Failure of leadership. Well, here's the real question, I think. Of course, we can differ, but the taxes, there is this debate, right? They keep saying, well, on balance, and I, I understand your analysis on this, but how is it that our conservative Republican legislature can't pass a bill like Stand Your Ground. 33 states have that. It's a guns bill. Stand Your Ground. That means if you're being attacked, if your life is in danger, you're allowed to defend yourself without looking around to see if you can run away. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean you can't look around and run away. It means you don't have to. It means you don't have to pause and perhaps get killed because you're looking around to run away. Because someone told you, we don't have stand your ground law. How can it be? How can it be that a conservative legislature can't pass that bill? My point simply is this. It's at least debatable or at least confusing on the taxes. Is it a tax raise on balance? Should it be partially a tax raise and partially a tax cut? Should it be all a tax cut? At least there's a debate there. I'm not saying who's right. I'm not trying to disagree with Conduit. But I'm saying at least there's a debate. Where is the conservative debate on Stand Your Ground? Uh, no, we're not for gun rights anymore? What is going no, on? They, they, I think that the, they bring in, to be able to CYA themselves, they bring in prosecutors and they b- believe they bring in sheriffs and whatever to say, well, we already had stand, yeah. uh, stand your ground. It just doesn't say it that yeah, way. Yeah, I, exactly. A bunch of non-lawyers. I saw some of them come in there. I saw one guy go in there and say, well, you know, if you make stand your ground and a guy is confronted by a bad guy, goes home, 
gets his gun that he has a license for, comes back to the point that he was at on the sidewalk, not with the intent of shooting anybody, mind you, just with the intent of exercising his right to be on the street corner that is a public street corner. Well, we can't bring up the fact that he left the scene previously. Well, why would you bring up the the fact? Because when it comes to issues of gun rights, law enforcement is actually divided. They're divided between what I would call the equivalent of corporatists, meaning they're more concerned with their own enterprise than they are with public safety and pro-public safety folks. A good friend. And freedom. Right. And freedom. That's the public safety folks are, are pro freedom. Good friend of mine is a federal agent. He believes in Second Amendment rights for all citizens. And I said to him, you know, I find that not all cops think that way. And he said, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because those cops are more concerned about their jobs and doing their jobs than they are the health and welfare and safety of the public. So if we can't pass common sense gun laws, we don't have a truly conservative legislature. So let me go back and ask Brenda. Brenda, you say that we evidently have these uh, people who are going to run for office sign a a waiver or a a form of some kind, an affidavit saying – that they'll abide by the platform. Well, if they don't, and they then they say, well, I'm going to run again, you'll say, yeah, but not as a Republican. You can't put an R on your name. I mean, we don't have to accept them as a candidate, do we? Well, uh, let me rephrase that. If I, I misspoke, if I said they, they promised to abide by it, they uh, ascribe to it, and they're, they're signing that piece of paper, as I recall. And I'm not. Uh, it's just something to the fact that we believe in these right, principles. Right, right. And... Um, and so to, you know, elect or, or unelect them or not support them, rarely there may be a committee not support a candidate. We've seen that. And, um, yeah, know, Mickey Gates. Yeah, and you, yeah exactly. And, and, you know, um, I think, hold on, you know, hope springs eternal. I grew up on a farm. My father was a farmer. There's always next year that we are now maturing. In, you know, we've been living through a transitional party change. Yes, we have. We're maturing into a full-blown, real grown-up primary next time for the governor's race, and we can see how our local counties will react to constitutional officers they have elected running against each other for governor. I mean, that could be the best thing that could ever happen, and rather than having like Jan Morgan or, you know, you'll see conduit often, county committees that say you can't speak, if you speak you can't say anybody's name, don't dare pass out a handout and show somebody's vote, but you'll see real live debate. We can only hope for that in the Republican Party in 2022. And, and hope is the right word because what, what we're what the people generally the people are are faced with is the big government apparatus where it's a career. It's there's big money in it. There's power. There's payoffs. And then there's the big donor class. And those two have no problem getting together and keeping anybody that's going to rock the boat out of primaries. And we saw that with uh, Bob uh, Bob Bailey down in Russellville. We've, we've seen it up here with Brian King. So uh, that's what they do. And that, that is a really hard pill to swallow for the conservative committee people. But either they're going to cower down and just root for the red team to amass power, or they're going to fight and stand up and educate themselves and grow up and grow up there. 
Uh, I don't, One or the other is going to happen. I think a lot of people have grown a pair. I mean, I look look I look look at Lundstrom, and Lundstrom is uh, head and shoulders above what she was a couple of years ago, and so is Mayberry. I mean, she she didn't have any problem pushing back as well. And there's others uh, that are over in the House side. There's some like that on the on the Senate side. I think Hammer is a perfect example of that. He he went against uh, what a lot of the people wanted. Uh, over in the Senate. He brought things forward they didn't want to deal with. But I I think it goes back, and again, you know, I don't know how this has changed or whatever because I'm not a a committee person in any of the counties or anything like that. I haven't gotten that deeply involved in it. But I think that this thing that they ascribe uh, to the, uh, the platform should be written up that they must follow the uh the the state platform and if they do not they're not going to be allowed to run as a republican i don't see i don't see where that couldn't be changed it'll be a fight there's no doubt about it there'll be a huge fight about it but that's that's kind of where the fight kind of lies right now joe wouldn't you agree with me well but but in whose eyes did they deviate from the platform exactly and that's that's the issue and then who's got a pair to call them out and then when you do call them out then they go after you personally. Uh, who can stand up to that? So, you know, you've got these guys coming back and saying to the committees, you know, we, we had to make it revenue neutral because that's responsible. You know, revenue neutral, well, what happened to your smaller government is good, lower taxes is good. Well, that doesn't mean revenue, revenue neutral is good. Revenue I mean, neutral I mean, only means they're moving the money from one pocket to the other pocket. That's right. all it means. But what they passed, and I I appreciate Robert's comment, you know, maybe it's debatable. It's not if you can read and know math, and I understand that not everyone can read a tax bill. But when uh, the Senate pro tem, his slide to show that he actually cut taxes, left off all of the tax increases for the gas tax, not the three cents, six cents, was not on his list. I mean, I don't know that you would call that dishonest, but that's really not good math when you don't include all the bills that you – uh, where you raise the taxes, you know. Uh, that, that, they're going to go around to all the committees and and try to uh, you know insulate themselves from reality that's going to come out with our scorecard in a few weeks. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to come on to talk about that. We'll speak about that and when we can expect it when we come back. Final break here on the Dave Ellswick Show on a Monday. Joe and Brenda with us from Conduit News and Robert Steinbach, who's my favorite law professor. His opinions are his and his alone, though, not necessarily those of UALR or the Bowen School of Law. All right, back, final segment, just a couple of minutes left with Brenda and Joe. You guys tell us when this uh, report card's going to come out, because when it does, you know, I'm going to have you on the air. We're going to talk about it. I'll even see if I can't get – I'll promise you lunch if you'll drive in and, and do it live on my show. Get a two-hour block. <laughs> I might be able to work that out with a report card. Absolutely, because you know what it'll spawn. It'll spawn so many more report cards. Yeah, it will. It probably will. I mean, I'm sure Senator Hendren will have his ready to go as well. So when when can we expect this to to make its uh, uh, you know when are you going to bring it out? Debut. Yeah, well, debut. Uh, there you go. That's the word I was looking for. I appreciate yeah. that. Teams of mathematicians, scientists, sure. engineers working on it as we speak. Te- teams it, it's named sort of, Brenda, you know, right? It's always a new thing to us, too. But um, 
Josh is on vacation, a well-earned vacation for the last uh, week, and he, he won't be back until week after next. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he deserves it. And so we're um, looking at mid-May, but I can't give you a date, but next week I'll give you the date. How about that? What categories are you reviewing? Economic impact. Gotcha. Yes. There, there are several elements to how we do things. Uh, Jerry Cox over at the Family Council does an outstanding job of scorecarding the the social issues, the, the the human issues, and we focus on government scope and economic issues and transparency. And we do that by we have a weighting system that you know if, if you change the fine from speeding on the state highway from forty eight dollars to forty three dollars, that ain't going to affect much. So right. that's that would be a mediocre bill if we pick it. Right. But then if you do internet sales tax, that is a giant impact to the state. That's right. They are not scored equally, that's nor right. should they be. Nor should they and, be. And Absolutely. As we also know, a lot of bad stuff happens in committees. So on strategic committee votes, we often include those. How do you account for the fact that some people are on the committee and some people are not? But it doesn't matter. You know, did you produce this result or didn't you? And yeah, somebody else might not be uh, graded on the, the amount, but it's all amalgamated to where that doesn't make or break you the committee vote. Yeah, it, it's amazing how we have scored enough different votes in the past that it, it was amazing how it told the story. You yeah, spread out the committee votes, yeah. so uh, there's like a, 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 just to simplify, there would be a vote, one vote from every committee, so you're going to hit everybody at least once kind of thing. Well, I mean, think about the disclosure, Medicaid disclosure bill from two years ago mm-hmm. that Brian King had tried to run four different times. Mm-hmm. For a legislator, have the opportunity to support that bill and not do it. How in the world could we ignore that? Now, I see that national groups can ignore that, but we are in the Capitol nearly every day of the legislature, legislative session. Why would we ignore something that powerful? No, no, I'm, not I'm saying, like, I, I, as you know, I worked on this free speech for government employees bill uh, that uh, couldn't make it out of the committee. Uh, there was a fair matter. Of, of course, the Dems are, are always opposed to these kind of things. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, Trent Garner was rather vociferous in his opposition. So that bill never went anywhere. Um, so we could rate, for example, Trent Garner on that. But what about the other um, uh, 30 or 25 senators who aren't on that committee, they're going to be rated on a different bill that was in their committee, I take it. Well, Well, maybe, maybe not. But understand that we set all this up before we look at the people involved. We set up the bills, the rates, and which ones we're going to do. Now, as I recall last year, uh, I think this is the way we did it, is we said, okay, here's here's the scoring. Now let's remove the committee votes it didn't change the outcome one inch. Yeah, it didn't. So it's fairly indicative mm-hmm. Got it. of their overall performance. It is. And not only that, the, the public needs to be able to see how people voted in committee. Sure. And really, our scorecard is one of the few opportunities they have. One piece of it that Joe left out, uh, Josh did an excellent job of weekly putting out a scorecard information. We have told these legislators in advance these bills that are important to conduit. Mm-hmm. There may be a few that were, were left off, but there'll be very few. And so there's been plenty of notice. Now, last year, we had a few people just outraged over our scorecard. 
card, and they said, well, they never looked at our weekly uh, information. Well, okay. I don't care. They'll be outraged. Well, yeah, but I don't care. What? Meaning, you, you go do, don't look at uh, Conduit. Do look at Conduit. I don't care. Do whatever you're going to do. We're going to evaluate you. So, And by the way, I want to be clear on this point as I ask you these questions. I think it's probably more important to look at committee votes. Not equally. Why? Because most stuff doesn't get out of committee. And most stuff is being buried by folks like the Municipal League, by corporatists, by leftists. And it doesn't ever get out of committee, even though we are a 75% Republican legislature. So you have to look at committee votes. I'm just talking to you about the mechanics of it. But let's be clear. Committees are where good bills too often go to die. And that's a problem that we need to fix. Well, and back at you on that, uh, you know, the the people that vote, uh, kill things in committee or get things through committee, those are just a small group of people. Mm -hmm. So they should they are the ones that should have the gonads to stand up. And that's where they can hide and fail. And those are the ones that we try to make most accountable for their votes, because from from the bills that we're looking at, you know, that's. That's what controls the state, and that's where our policies are made, right there out of the committee. And, uh, you know, very little opportunity for the legislative body as a whole to change what the committees do for the most part. All right, Brenda and Joe, i got to jump in. We're out of time. Thanks for being part. Great discussion today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you all next uh, Monday right here at 5 o'clock. God bless. Yeah. And I'll see you this week. I know you okay. don't. You don't have classes this no, week. No, classes are over. So I'll try to pop in. Tell yeah, me when we got good some good you. stuff to yeah. get in and talk about. Terrific. Have a great evening. And uh, are you going to still use Amazon? I still use it. <laughs> right. As long as they make right on my home. All right, <laughs> got a break. See you tomorrow too. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.